Let's get it. Hop off a 16, pass in the ditch of D5. No, that's not a challenger. Big one. I keep some members with me in the freaks. Get coat seat, they some cannibals. They like to get geek. Drink a whole bottle, wake up and repeat. Damn. She took a look, missed it with the chill out. Now she says she's in 3D. Wow. I go in the juggling. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 158 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention, we have brand new merchandise that's available now at TwoBlackNerds.com. Go check out our Forever Collection inspired by black panther wakanda forever we got t-shirts crew neck city stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be doing a deep dive on the three most recent recent episodes of the star wars original series Andor. also we'll be discussing a new psychological drama that just premiered on apple tv plus causeway plus we'll talk about a comedy mystery film that recently became available on hbo max see how they run but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this week's podcast with a review of the new collaborative studio album from drake and 21 savage her loss and so we've talked about drake quite a bit on this podcast because he's dropped a lot of music over the past couple of years in fact he dropped an album earlier this year that we reviewed honestly never mind safe to say it wasn't exactly what we were expecting it gave us a bit of a different vibe and a bit of a different feel it was more of an an house infused album that definitely veered away towards his traditional r&b and hip-hop roots but we found out about this new collaborative project that he was going to be releasing with 21 savage maybe not even two weeks ago at this point it was a really recent announcement that they made about this and they embarked on their promo tour and their marketing run up until the lead up until this album and this was something i was very much interested in just considering 21 savage is all hip-hop and we see that the collaborations between those two typically lean towards the more hip-hop spectrum of of music in terms of what they make and so we finally got a chance to actually hear this album there's quite a few things to discuss that I definitely want to tackle. Of course, there's some controversy that we should, that we should definitely get to in a bit here. But before we talk about some of the nitty gritty details as it relates to this project, what did you generally think about this new project from Twenty One Savage and Drake? Um, it's cool, man. It's cool. Uh, it's I think it's what I expect out of a Drake Twenty One Savage collab. If partially you can call it that, mainly the only reason I say that's because. It's really like 75% Drake, 25% 21 Savage. And so uh, I remember one uh, one of my boys who was listening to it a little bit before I did. I, he was like, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm listening to a new Drake. I was like, wait, isn't it? Isn't 21 Savage on there too? And then I listened to it. I was like, oh, I know what you're saying now. Like, it's a ton of Drake and not a lot of 21 Savage. But um, anytime 21 Savage did show up, man, I think uh, it's just 21 Savage. Like, I always have a great time um listening to 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 what 21 savage can provide on any track um or any verse but again for the most part it again it's what i expect man it's 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 nothing over the top i we're not gonna pretend like it's conceptual (laughs) there's no skits there's no anything like that it's another another drake um glorified mixtape which is fine um i I can't say i expected anything else Um, but just like all those other projects there's a there's gonna be songs there's songs i like and there's songs in probably gonna end up skipping but um 
I will say that it it does have a, a slight different sound um, than we've heard before. There's tracks on here. Drake is still in like Young Thugs flow on some tracks. There are a couple um, more R&B tracks on here. There's a track I really like where Drake is just, I mean, I, my favorite Drake is Rap Drake. There's a track on here. He's just rapping, rapping. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of pieces of Drake on here. I, I do admit I, I do really enjoy um, and I did like while listening to the album. But the, the my only complaint is that it's typical. You know, my only complaint is that we've been here, done this. And so it sucks to have to put some of these tracks along with other, you know, things that we've heard before. Some of these um, or put this this album slash whatever you want to call it, mixtape with a lot of the other things from Drake that we've gotten here recently. That I think that's the sucky part about it. But I think when it actually comes to listening to the music, it's fine, man. I really don't have too many complaints because it is it is just that it is what i expected so uh, i'll leave it there yeah this was uh this was always going to be an interesting prospect just considering the i would say 15 to 16 months that drake has had ever since the release of certified lover boy another project we talked about that was very very underwhelming for me you roll into honestly never mind which felt like it was going to be this album that wasn't necessarily a makeup album but it almost felt like drake maybe had acknowledged you know my past project probably didn't do everything that people wanted it to do and then he comes out and completely subverts all expectations for some people it worked for me it did not that wasn't exactly what i was Mm -hmm. anticipating hearing from drake so coming into this project i was once again interested and eager to see what it was going to sound like ultimately at the end of the day because you never really know these days and i'm glad to find that it is just a traditional hip-hop album that's what i've wanted from drake for a long time now that that's Mm -hmm. been my favorite version of him as well so the fact that we lean so heavily into that style of him and utilizing 21 Savage in these areas that really complements Drake's style. They they actually work really well together. But I was just really pleasantly surprised to see that that's, that was the angle. And and you never can necessarily assume. It feels like that would be the angle if you see an album with 21 Savage coming around the corner. But right. you can just never assume these days. But I was I was pleasantly surprised and, and happy to see that that was indeed the case. And I have to say, I do feel like for the majority of this project, not all of it, but it feels like Drake is a little bit reinvigorated due to the presence of 21, although he should have been utilized more. 21 <laughs> certainly felt like a passenger for a lot of this experience where I just wanted him to be a little bit more at the forefront because 21, he has grown into a really credible and fine rapper. He is yeah. very playful. He's very intricate and clever with just his wordplay and the things that he uses in terms of his flow and his cadence and how he can just kind of be really funny and witty at times. Like, I really enjoy hearing a lot from him. And so didn't want to hear more from him. But ultimately, Drake did deliver for me from a lyrical standpoint, I think, in, mm-hmm. in a large majority of these tracks. And you do get to see a lot of that rapping, just pure rapping come out of him. And you can see his wordplay and his penmanship, not his penmanship, but his pen, his pen game, I guess, just really come to the forefront on this project where it just doesn't seem like he's really, you know, using a lot of time to just kind of play around and mess with different sounds and styles. Like this actually feels funnily enough, like one of the more focused projects we've gotten out of him in recent memory. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the highest bar though, just considering the output of music he's had over these past few years where pretty much every project he's put out, I'm just like, well, what is this really? What am I really, (laughs) what am I really listening to here? Am I ever going to really revisit this project? And for the most part, I haven't. I haven't really listened to Certified Lover Boy. I damn sure haven't listened to Honestly Nevermind, mm-hmm. with the exception of the 21 and Drake collab on that project. Jimmy Cooks, I think it was. So yeah. I come into this knowing like Drake is in this weird place. You know, he's definitely at a at a different stage of his career than than I might have forecasted at this particular stage. I think it's a quite difficult area for him to be in. And 
that's becoming very apparent with just the, the subject matter of his music, because though I love a lot of the production on here, though the one feature that they have on here from Travis Scott, I thought was actually executed quite well. And though that there's some some really clever, you know, exchanges back and forth between 21 and Drake, I just can't help but look at this music and say, Yo, Drake, you are really kind of going through, I don't want to say it's a crisis, but you are going through something right now, a bit of a transition period, and you haven't quite figured out the mm. formula just yet. And I think with what we see in the subject matter, the fact that it's entitled Her Loss, the fact that Drake is once again leaning into this really kind of toxic masculinity, this idea of, you know, one-upping women and, and, and all of this <laughs> type of stuff, the fact that he's continuing to lean into that as like his shtick mm-hmm. says a lot to me. And we, we should probably transition there and talk about, you know, really the big controversy as it relates to this album and just the litany of shots that he took at people. But most notably, the one at Megan the Stallion, which drew the attention and the ire of many, many people online. I think rightfully so. And I, I don't even need to repeat the lyric. I think everybody has seen it at this point. But Drake mm-hmm. certainly calls into question the validity of her shooting that was allegedly perpetrated by Tory Lanez back in 2020, I believe it was. And of course, Megan the Stallion was incredibly upset it appeared on Twitter and had an immediate reaction to the lyric coming out and being spread across Twitter and social media. And now it just looks like a really bad and nasty situation. And and, and I think a lot of people are just wondering, like, Drake, why the hell would you say that? Like, of course, there's like supposed to be a double entendre in there. Of course, it's supposed supposed to mean something else in addition to that. But we we obviously know what what the implication is. But what, what are your thoughts on just his approach there with taking that that specific situation and turning it into this bar that just seemed unnecessary. The shot that he took at Serena Williams husband, the 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 ice spice commentary that seemed to be subliminally thrown in there. What's just your overall mm-hmm. take of like where Drake is and how he's approaching these situations and almost just kind of in an unsolicited way, just taking shots at people for no reason. You know, it's it's in, in talking about Drake, no matter how I enjoy um his projects, right? It's it's really hard to to talk shit on an album like honestly, never mind. You're not gonna be out here like <laughs> throwing bars at people in 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 Afrobeats and in oons oons music and dance hall. <laughs> um, and so, but something about Drake that's always been so interesting is as much as I enjoy his music, sometimes it's like, but what is this song about? What are what are you talking about in this song, Drake? Drake has is one of the most talented people in the world. And part of that talent comes from the catchiness, uh, uh, his ability to make a song based off that catchiness, no matter what he's saying. What is Tussie Slide about? It goes up, foot, uh, right, foot, slide. That song doesn't have to be about anything, but it can be a TikTok hit, a radio hit, anything. And I think sometimes... When it comes to 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 super hip hop Drake, when it comes to these albums, he has to search for things to talk about in lieu because he doesn't have conceptual albums. That's a thing, right? Like if you don't have a message that you're trying to say on any at any given time, it's going to be hard, I think, for anybody uh, uh, to come up with material. And Drake uh, absolutely is a, a, a rapper who has. Um, a lot of punchlines. He does. He he's witty. He's great with his pen. He is. But in writing, right? It's an album with Twenty One Savage. You're gonna be rapping a lot. You gotta have. You gotta find some lines. And I think Drake, in in not having too much to talk about at this moment in his life, where he is not as hungry as he had to used to be. Right? Every rapper has goes through that moment where they're like at at a point in time where it's like, well, 
do I have to really work as hard as I used to now that I'm on top? And so I think he finds some some kind of uh, uh, solace and relief having something that is uh, a black woman's situation, a black rapper woman's situation it, right in front of him that he can make a line of. The second thing is it has been far too long that we have allowed uh, uh, male rappers to use, um, I guess, the the struggles, the, the bad circumstance, I don't know, the, the, let's go with that, the struggles of black women um, in their music, right? Black women have, we already know, are the most disrespected in the world, right? But imagine, but uh, that's also been true in rap music. That's part of this rap renaissance that women are going through right now. They're like, y'all been talking shit about us for a long time. We about to come back even harder. And so it, it's it's been a thing where black women just haven't been treated fairly, but it also people haven't been held accountable for doing that in music either, right? There's been all kind of songs that all of our favorite rappers have had that's taken shots at some black women for absolutely no reason. And now I think society in some ways has finally caught up where we're like, oh, wait a second, this might not be okay. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like we're progressing as a people where we heard the line and everyone's like, whoa, that's kind of out of pocket, Drake. Like, this is tasteless. I feel like if this this same line came out maybe even like five years ago, we might not have said much, you know? But again, we've progressed so much. The Megan and Tory situation has been on this this pedestal for such a you know long time now that it, everyone is pretty aware of what's happening. Everyone seems to be pretty educated about what's been going on, this and that. And so when it happens, everyone's like, yeah, I don't know about this, Drake. Like this, this can't, you can't possibly stoop to this level or, or, or do these things or have this line in your song that speaks to this Megan the Stallion situation. Not only is it disrespectful to Megan the Stallion, <laughs> but now everyone's like, this has been happening to black women for far too long, you know, kind of type thing, which again, it, it, it felt like it not necessarily was a thing before, like it wasn't people fighting for it before, but now it's like, oh no, this is, this is not okay. And so, um, I, I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing for Drake to do. Um, but I think it, it does speak to where Drake is. Um, it speaks to where Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez are even too, you know, it speaks to a lot. It speaks to where people are, as well, when it comes to misogynoir, um, it speaks to so many things uh, that's reflective of, of really the black community today. Um, but I think regardless of of everything, it was tasteless. Um, he didn't have to say it. Um, and I think people who back him up are weird. That's part of the weird part for me, too. It's like, I, I bet you if, like, there was a situation having to deal with your mom, your sister, your, you know what I mean? You wouldn't be backing these people up. But people be backing up celebrities they don't even know. It's so weird. Um, but yeah, man, that's, that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I just, yeah, it's, I also think it's okay to recognize that this is not okay and still enjoy the music as well too. Like, it's okay to say, Drake, you shouldn't have done that. Call him out on it. And then, I don't know, skip the song if you want to move on to, you know, something else. But I think it's okay to hold your favorite, uh, rappers accountable. Um, and yeah, I think this is just one of those situations and I, I, I really, like the maturity, I think, of our community, too, by being able to say, like, no, nah, Drake, that wasn't okay. I mean, I think even that song itself, Circo Loco, is one of the lesser tracks on the album. They tried to do this Daft Punk 
sample mm-hmm. and, and, and chopped and screwed. And I just don't think it works. So it's not even a song I plan to revisit. But even beyond, you know, which the stuff you said, you know, and it, this is not to discredit, you know, what black women have experienced and being on the, the receiving end of a lot of the misogyny that exists in the music industry and just the lyrics, the chauvinistic language and tendencies that are all throughout this album. I mean, this album is essentially conceptualized to be sort of that type of music, which, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. But not to discredit anything that, you know, Megan herself has gone through or the black women, but something about him just making a joke about somebody getting shot is just weird as hell to me. I don't I really don't think that that would fly in any era because I feel mm-hmm. like any rapper that has made light of a situation in which somebody got shot like that's never that's never gone well. That's actually always caused a lot of issues in the industry like that's true that's the one thing where it's like yeah you don't really play with that if somebody mm-hmm. got shot and potentially almost lost their life that's some serious shit and yeah. we've seen many situations in which that's been the case and, and 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 unfortunately some of that violence has resulted into even more terrible and tragic circumstances where people ultimately do lose their lives mm-hmm. and 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 for him to, to 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 make that you know that line and to write that and to just you know put it out there in the world it's just a it's a really odd it's just such an odd choice to me you know to to to, to use that situation that she went through and and you know it's no regardless as to whether or not people believe Tory did it or not like you can't you can't like the woman got shot. She has photo evidence like all of that stuff is out there. You could see mm-hmm. the literal stitching. You can see her in the hospital getting her foot fucking stitched up. And yes, it was her foot, but you never know what could happen. It can hit the wrong artery. It can hit the wrong vein like that could actually cause somebody some serious irreparable damage. And thankfully it didn't for her. But that's still a traumatic incident at the end of the day. And to and to, you know, use that as like a a. a a source of your material for these lyrics that you're creating creating is just like the weirdest shit ever to me you know and then and then it goes even beyond that when you see him taking these other unsolicited unsolicited shots at certain people like the serena williams husband line and all of that and it's like mm-hmm. what are we doing here exactly like y'all had a thing <laughs> seven eight years ago and we're still talking about this and and, mm-hmm. and i think it, it kind of circles back to some of the things you were mentioning earlier, just about, you know, the way the Drake has moved in terms of his music and his release release strategy are all these years. I mean, we just get so much Drake music all the time. I think I read somewhere as I was just like researching the album that over the past 14 months, Drake has released no less than 50 songs because he's done three albums now. He's done wow. CLB and honestly, never mind. And now this 50 songs in 14 months is a lot. I mean, wow. that's a lot of music mm-hmm. and we don't ever see Drake taking off any real legitimate time. And have the these interim stages in which, you know, maybe two or three years he comes back and there's a lot that we haven't learned about Drake. There's a lot that mm-hmm. we don't know about him and we can come back and get some some revelatory insights about his growth and what he's experienced and what he's went through. You know, and that's not to say that he needs to rap like Joe, J. Cole or Kendrick. Like, of course, they they notoriously take off, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. time between their projects. But other people do it, too. You know, Travis Scott hasn't released an album in like four years and he he's still productive. But I think that. It's just something to be said about somebody who can actually go live life, do some things, live, get some lived experience, then can come back and like really talk about something. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. we're just reverting back to the same old shit that we typically get from Drake. And even if the music sounds better, because I do think that this music sounds better than anything he's put out in like the past four or five years. What is it really? Is it just like a sugar rush? Is it just like candy? Like I'll just eat it and enjoy it for the time being. But there's mm-hmm. no like nutritional value probably that's probably what's going to happen you know so i think it's unfortunate you know when you have somebody who's so talented come back and deliver in my eyes something that is pretty 
pretty above average in terms of what he's done recently, but then he undercuts his own momentum because he reverts back to saying silly, stupid shit like that Megan line. It's like you can't you can't do anything to really help your case at that point now because I, I was once rooting for you because this music was decent, but now you just say some silly shit and I'm just like, well, how much has he really grown? He hasn't. I think I think it's inter- interesting that Drake is now the same age that Jay-Z was when he returned out of retirement and released Kingdom Come. That's crazy. Jay-Z was 36 years old and Drake is now 36 years old. Wow. And I find Drake is at a similar turning point that Jay-Z was at. Kingdom Come is like one of the worst Jay-Z projects. I mean, he came <laughs> back and it was not great. It's like, oh shit, oh, <laughs> might sure? be in trouble, right? Like, maybe you want to stay away, actually. But of course, we know he would go on and release a string of fucking fire for the next, yeah. you know, 15 years, thankfully. But I find Drake at a similar place where he's at a turning point in his career and he really kind of has to decide what's the next 10 years going to look like, you know, for Spicy you, Drake. my guy. Like, Yeah, for real. Like, <laughs> what is it going to be? Do you have any thoughts to that? Like what what these you know next five to 10 years might look like for him? Because he's now going to enter into this new level where he isn't a part of the young man's crew anymore. He hasn't been for a while, but now you're approaching 40, like real grown man mm-hmm. status. What What's your role in hip hop going to be? What do you think that that might look like for him in the next few years? Man, such a good question because Drake, you can tell uh, still to this day is one of those kind of go out and party type guys. You know, he's like the OBJ <laughs> of, 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 of hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Like no matter how old he gets, you can tell he's like, ah, I feel like going out tonight kind of type guy. Um, and in that, I feel like the music is going to reflect that until he also changes. Right. Is there a moment where, you know, we, we know a lot of Drake's music is is always love center. Right. Is there a moment in time where Drake actually decides to settle down? You know what I'm saying? Is that a thing you can consider? Can you imagine family Drake making an album? I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know what his maturity is going to look like um yeah and it's such an interesting spot to be in man you know i brought a spicy drake that's a real thing like the dude is at a at a moment where his persona is constantly changing right he is i mean you know people are joking right now the 21 can you do something for me like people are, are joking about that stuff but i think it's it's also important to acknowledge just the personas that he takes up uh, at any given time and right now he does feel like He's on his quote unquote bad bitch persona right now. You know what I'm saying? He, that's what he feels like. He got his braids done. He does duck lips in every picture. He uh, <laughs> he he. You know, this it's, a grown I, man, y'all. A grown man, we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's a grown man. Uh, people talk about the surgeries he's had done. I was like, I guess. You know what I'm saying? I think you know, but uh, I I think all of all, I say all that to say he he's just he's also human. But but again, all humans. I'm, uh, 36 is it's not young you know what i'm saying you're not necessarily old don't get me wrong 36 i think it's still a very much prime of your life but you just said it it's when jay-z came back and did kingdom come when that, when that happened we was like damn jay old you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. um yeah. i remember it it does it does feel different now though like drake definitely doesn't feel like kingdom come jay-z <laughs> he definitely doesn't feel like that the maturity isn't there even he just said that make the stallion bar you 36 <laughs> What's going on here, Drake? Um, so yeah, I, I really don't know, and I'm really not sure um, what that looks like. But I think it's something that uh, I've said this many times. I would love to see Drake take that time off, come back with some with some retrospective bars. You know, it's it's Drake has always been a real time artist. Like he'll tell us what's going on all the time in real time. A lot of times, music comes out, you know exactly who it's about. 
you know what I'm saying? You you could tell the where the J Lo fits in, where the the Georgia Georgia Smith fits in. You can tell where all these like people he's dated fits in, just because the timing of of what of, of Drake's art. The and, and so I I would just love if again come back when you're 38, bro. Take take you only got to take a whole bunch of time. Just take next year off. <laughs> Don't release any music next year. Come back 2024. And tell us what you, what's been going on and what you've learned, and I think that will hold a lot of weight. So yeah, I have no idea. He's a very unpredictable artist to me, uh, but I would love to see him. I think step into his, uh, just a little bit more mature of a role in hip hop, especially you know he's one of the big dogs, but now he is legit one of the old dogs. So yeah, unpredictable is a great word for it. I will say that this whole marketing rollout for this album was unpredictable in a good way. I liked the stuff that they did. They did these like. You know, these like faux tiny desk concerts, this mm-hmm. fake SNL performance. That was like really creative stuff. So you can see that there's pockets of brilliance that come out. For like sure. when Drake promotes, you know, music, he he kind of doesn't unlike anybody else. So you can you can tell like the the mind is working constantly in terms of what Drake is trying to do. And he's an incredibly smart guy. But from, yes, just an inspirational and artistic standpoint, how much more of this can we really just be OK with before mm-hmm. we're just like, all right now, bro, like you were you were pushing it for real. And even if he doesn't take a break, per se, can you at least like do something? I don't want to say different because honestly, never mind. Technically does fall under the, under that category. But I even look at like this might be a stretch as, as an example. But I look at like Nas in the past two years, the man within a couple of weeks now, he's going to release King's Disease three. So he would have put out four albums in two years, all with Hit Boy. You can just see the revitalization of Nas because of Hitboy. He found a collaborator where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, I'm about to just tear through people right now and just like put out some of my best work in years. Even if something like that were to come about, and maybe this is the start of that, because I do mm-hmm. think, again, that there is a renewed sense of energy on this album because like of the it. presence of 21. Mm-hmm. I do like it, so I don't want mm-hmm. that to be lost. But as we both said here, the actual subject matter, the lyrical content, too, is a big piece of it. Where's the evolution there? Like, can we get the actual substance to match the actual creative ambitions and the ideas and the thought process mm-hmm. with that stuff once we get those two things in alignment i think we're going to be in a different conversation when it comes to drake so we'll have to see hopefully that will be the case but those are our thoughts on the collaborative studio album from drake and 21 savage her loss if you've checked out this new music definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're going to transition and talk about some tv we got to catch up with the three most recent episodes of the star wars original series and or on disney plus which is a series that I have been thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying. I know we talked about it a few weeks ago at the midway point of the series. We now have three episodes remaining after these most three recent ones have premiered on Disney+. And so we just want to recap and talk about them and talk about some of the big themes, some of the major moments and things that occurred over the over the course of the three episodes, and just also talk about where the story might be heading as we enter the home stretch of Andor as, as, as a season one on Disney+. Plus. But before we talk about spoilers and get into nitty-gritty stuff and talk about some of the characters and things that happen, and just generally, what did you think about these most three recent episodes and or that you saw? Man, uh, I think I'm still having a great time, man. Again, as a Star Wars fan, as this show continues to enter in just unprecedented Star Wars territory in terms of maturity, um, I'm I'm still enjoying myself. I think I I don't think these 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 three episodes feel as crazy as the last three did, as four, five, and six did, but I can feel the ramp up of these three episodes these three episodes don't don't feel like necessarily i wouldn't say fillers either but they do feel like the uh something pointing towards what what is about to be i think in the last three episodes um and so i'm 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 still here i'm still excited um and i think 
there's really still so much to be said and done in this series. Um, but again, I, I think three episodes is a lot. Not only that, but they've been talking about season two, like it's around the corner, <laughs> you know, kind of type thing. I think that's really interesting, too. A lot of people really don't start talking about season two news until, shoot, season one is even over. It really doesn't get announced. But the fact that season two has already been announced, <laughs> it's already uh, people are already talking about how things that are being shot and in, in inspiration of things that are being shot. I'm like, man, y'all talking about season two. Like, we don't got three episodes left. Um, but I, I think that speaks to. I think how excited really everyone is for the show, especially the Star Wars camp in general. A lot of times you can tell when even the the, the creators behind the project are excited about uh, these things coming out. And so that that also helps keep me fueled. But uh, other, other than that, man, I think this is this has still been a fun ride. I love how patient this show is. A lot of people don't like that. Um, which I've noticed, I have read like a couple of review articles and some things of these past couple episodes. They're like, oh, it's so slow. But part of me loves it, uh, and, and, and it's because I, I think everything is legit pointing towards a finale, right? We know at the end of this show, we're going to get a Rogue One. We know this season is the first year, and season two is pretty much the four years leading up to Rogue One. And so... I, I really like having that in the back of my mind as we progress to the story because I'm like, okay, this is the this is how Cassian Andor gets to this spot, bring me to that spot. And I think they're doing a good job of throwing in, man, really surprises, very, very subtle Easter eggs um, and other things to get me to the point that I, I look forward to the show every week. Um, and so uh, I, don't, I don't have too many complaints. Um, I do have, again, very small nitpicks that we can talk about when we get into uh, uh, specific episode things. But for now, man, I'm, I'm still on the Andor train and I'm loving it. This show has been astounding for me. It, it's, it's entered into one of my favorite shows of the year. And I think that these three episodes have only continued that momentum. Certainly different than the previous three. I certainly think that the previous three, as we talked about on the show, had the feel of, of of a heist arc, and we saw the natural progression of that story and how this heist was going to be completed, how they were going to achieve the objective of of this big massive robbery that was going to occur on this new planet Aldani, and it paid off handsomely. It was mm-hmm. one of the greatest hours I've experienced with Star Wars in, in quite a long time, whereas now we pivot in these most three recent episodes in which I found the real dramatic tension raise so significantly in these past three episodes just based off of what's insinuated based off of some things that we've seen and just based off of the way that they've been able to expand the scope and the idea of the real horrific power of the empire and how Mm -hmm. they have been this large and looming oppressive force in a way that's been displayed in this show that they've never necessarily been able to touch in any other star wars projects films or tv that we've ever seen and i also think that the performances we've gotten these past three episodes are probably the best acting performances thus far in the entire series there are several moments that i absolutely love that we'll definitely talk about and get into the specifics of but just the acting across the board is on another level and that's that's really just compounded by this really incredible writing that's happening these Mm -hmm. are some of the best scripts that are coming across anything that's happening on Disney Plus. You know, I think the Disney Plus is still finding its footing in terms of what its big, huge shows are going to be. There's been a lot of things that we've liked, many things that we haven't necessarily taken to as much as we would have hoped. But this show is feeling like that one element of Star Wars and that one element of just Disney Plus overall content that we're getting that is more mature, more elevated, 
not in a derogatory sense towards other things, but just more elevated from a sophisticated level and standpoint in terms of the writing and the themes and what they're going after. Just like mm-hmm. what they're actually trying to set out to talk about in this show. There are really, really big themes here, even though this series is 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 mostly supposed to be about a few people. But there are such big ideas here that I think that they are executing so, so well. And again, the characters are really, really winning me over in so many different ways. Even the characters that I'm not supposed to like, I find myself so <laughs> fascinated by them because their performances are just phenomenal. And we're getting complex and nuanced characters here in Star Wars that we just don't always get the opportunity to really experience in some other mediums just because, you know, Star Wars has a big audience. It has a massive audience. It has a lot of people to cater to. And sometimes we don't even have the runway to experience some of these things because we might have two hours, right? Or we have just a few minutes within an animated short. But this this series, man, it, it's really... I said this on Twitter, but I think that this has now become my favorite Disney era Star Wars anything, like by mm-hmm. far, because just what they've been able to accomplish in these nine episodes has just been, for me, just far and away above everything else. And mm-hmm. I think that there's been some misfires, but there's definitely been some wins. Love Rogue One. A lot of the creative team behind this were also behind Rogue One, but right. this just ratchets it up to a new level because we have more time, more depth, more development that we can play with here. So. Let's talk about it. Let's get into the specifics. If you've not seen the most three recent episodes of Andor or any episode for that matter, definitely go watch those and then come back and listen to the rest of our conversation as we spoil things. And I think the natural place to start off here is the fallout from the big robbery that took place on Aldani. That was the Mm -hmm. big action set piece action set piece that took place in episode six. I find it funny that some of the things that we had talked about and kind of predicted did come to pass in these <laughs> most three recent episodes. We had mm-hmm. speculated like this was a pretty big robbery. Emperor Palpatine might have heard about this. Yes, he sure did. We got that confirmed <laughs> pretty much immediately in episode seven. But episode seven is indeed entitled entitled the announcement, which I think is very apt. And yeah. in this episode, we really see the ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau start to fight back they start Mm -hmm. to become more aware of just what's happening here and we find out that emperor palpatine and the senate have granted them granted them a new level of access and power that they didn't really have before it's almost like a draconian level of power and oversight in which they can do whatever they want to get the answers that they need and now there's new there's new legislation that's been passed in order to make sure that any any act of treason or robbery that's ever committed in the future there's going to be taxation laws like this is the political shit that they're able to achieve in this show that the prequels never really could the prequels never found a way to make this stuff interesting but i find that this stuff now implemented into this script is far more interesting than we've ever experienced before but as we talk about the ISB, really the forefront and the face of the ISB, at least for us as an audience thus far, is the character of Daedra, played by mm-hmm. Denise Go, And the way that she's risen to the surface throughout Listen. these last few episodes is it's pretty phenomenal. She is yeah. rising through the ranks. She is taking absolute control of every situation that's thrown before her. She's getting cha- challenged by, uh, by, by the one guy, Blevin, and she just completely outwits him and outsmarts him, and she gets control of Ferrick. So now she can essentially do whatever she wants yeah. to get these answers about Cassian Andor and the rebellion that's brewing up here. What are your just thoughts just about Daedra as a character and how she's really become, I think, one of the most formidable and almost fearful imperial officers that we might Mm -hmm. might have ever gotten in any star wars film or tv project thus far i think that they're really doing an impressive job with her but what do you think so far about what they've what they've done in terms of just elevating her character to the forefront man i think she's so cool um because she's so complicated there's so many moments throughout these past couple episodes where you see like a hint of 
sometimes joy, sometimes emotion. I don't know. It's just really cool to see really her exist, right? We've never really seen, I think, a character um, kind of fight the idea of misogyny on the imperial side of things, really, you know? And I think that's that's cool in itself. It's like this woman is not only – she not only cares, I think, about her mission, but she's also like – okay i'm a woman in here so what let's talk about it <laughs> you know kind of t- she's like okay okay i'm gonna one up you and i'm and i'm gonna outsmart you and i really love that about her um but i love the attitude more than anything man just the way she comes across as a character there's just such a big chip on her shoulder and i think she portrays it so so right though you know we have seen um other other i think woman characters who 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 carry chips on their shoulders and other things but it's something about her something about daedra that's just like no, I'm about to get this shit done today. I'm going to figure this shit out today that I really, really, really enjoy. Um, but she, she for for a lot of it, I'm, when we, again, we're, we were on the, the ISB side of things. I'm looking for her. I'm like, what she got to say? What is, what is the next crazy thing she's going to do? Whether it's her, her, her interrogation techniques, <laughs> which are... <laughs> Wow, I don't know how Straight we got torture. there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we got there, but we got there. Um, or again, whether it's just her presence in a room of, of a bunch of men who are like, "Eh, I'm going to question you," and she's like, "Okay, fuck off," kind of type thing. I wish there was cussing in this show. I really do. I was like, <laughs> I wish people was mouthing off in this Star Wars TV show, man, because I know people would have a, a, a lot of slightly more mean things to say, but. Oh, all in all, man, I really like this character a lot. I think I agree. She is one of the more, I think, intimidating kind of uh, uh, evil forces that we've gotten recently. And I love how she's just able to to to, to separate herself, um, especially like from Karn, where we've seen Karn come from. It's like, no, nah, this is a different beast than we've seen, you know, what who Karn was trying to be. This is like, this is it. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I'm just really enjoying her character. Uh, she she's so stellar in this series and i just love the way she looks too like the way that she scowls is mm-hmm. quite perfect the way that she just like you know curls her lip and, and and uses her face also as a device to get across her emotions it's so it's so expertly done i think denise go is just giving a tremendous performance here and i haven't seen her in anything else so like seeing her in this show it's like well this is a revelation and where you been i want to see you in whatever else you'll you'll ever do and whatever else you'll ever be in but she's such an intimidating villain as you said she's so formidable she's so smart too and ambitious and i find myself rooting for her when she is in those rooms and those situations with her fellow ISB male colleagues, but then you also, at the same time, you feel terrible because she, you know, a couple of episodes later is torturing Binks, and it's like, oh, no, I can't get down with that because that's mm-hmm. where shit gets kind of crazy, but you, you you teeter back and forth, I think, between the difficulties of accepting that because you, you know where she's coming from. You know the fact that she's had to fight for where she is. It wasn't just handed to her. People have doubted her. People have questioned her mm-hmm. publicly, so much so, and we've seen that throughout this series, but... The one that hasn't necessarily questioned her and has really just kind of given her a platform is the head Imperial officer, which is played by Anton Tesser. And I love him. He was Kyburn in Game of Thrones. And I just love seeing him in, in anything because he's also kind of like just like delightfully evil. He seems just so bad. And it's like, yeah, this guy is like not somebody to be fucked with. But he's become an ally of her. And he even like warned her. I think it was in episode seven after she was just impressively able to take over Ferrix and just monitor that whole situation, he told her, like, yeah, you need to watch your back. 
because people are definitely coming for you and you shouldn't trust anybody. And so she's moving accordingly. And I think that that's only aided her and her ambition. And I think maybe even by the end of probably not the end of this season, but I wouldn't be surprised that maybe by the end of the series mm-hmm. heading into Rogue One, because I question like, where was she in Rogue One? Probably died. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see her rise up to the ranks even more yeah. and maybe even become the head ISB officer. You know, mm. maybe maybe at a certain point it becomes a, a mm-hmm. game between her and the head Imperial officer that we're seeing right now. And that relationship ultimately dissipates and she just, you know, her ambition exceeds everything that we thought. And she just becomes the head person. I don't know. We'll have to see. Mm-hmm. But as we continue to talk about the fallout from the robbery on Aldani, I think it's important to talk about Luthen as a character played by Stellan Skarsgård, because we've seen him sort of be the the maestro behind this, this rebellion that's starting to take shape at this particular point in time. And he was elated once he found out that that the whole heist operation worked out. We saw his reaction at the end of episode six, but now we're getting, we're getting a little bit more of a, a darker side of Luthen. And there were a couple of big moments that happened between episode seven and eight, a couple of conversations. The first one he had with Mon Mothma, when he ultimately revealed to her, like what would happen to her. And she was, I mean, she was taken aback. She was startled. Like, do you realize what you've just done? Do you realize like the feathers you've now rattled with this huge robbery? And Luthen is of the mindset that, we cannot afford to hide anymore. We need this type of loud, really mm-hmm. obnoxious situation to occur to wake up the Empire. Actually, the Empire, in fact, their anger towards the situation is only going to help us. That is his entire mindset. He says that they need fear and we need them to start noticing and the fact that they cannot hide forever. And I think one of the lines that he actually says is, is that oppression breeds rebellion. That's really his mindset. Mm. What do you think about Luthen almost using some of these questionable tactics to make this thing really come to life? Because so far, the rebellion is very fractured. And I want to talk about a bit more about that in a second when we when we get to Saw Gerrera. But the rebellion is super fractured. People are hiding, especially Mon Mothma. Mm. Nobody really knows what's going on with her. We don't see her really become the face of the rebellion until Rogue One. Right. But what do you think about his just entire mindset? The fact that, you know, sometimes people have to die. Sacrifices have to be made. And we have to do some really disturbing things that are just not going to play well in order to get their attention, because that's what's going to make people rise up at the end of the day. One of the interesting things about this is the conversation between Luthen and I think Clea, where Clea is like, hey, yo, this this Andor cat. <laughs> uh, yeah, this this dude might need to, die. you know, everyone's like Andor might need to die, y'all like. We might need to take him out. He's too much of a liability. And even though Luthen like does slightly b- believe in that, there's something in him is like, I need to keep this dude alive. It, I, the reason I love this so much is because we never have really talked about like there potentially having to be sacrifices that even the rebellion makes for their own people on purpose, right? Like, like they might have to die. That's just what has to happen for the greater good. We've never really discussed that in Star Wars land. At least I haven't seen it. And so I seen something somewhere. I forgot what it was. But somebody was like, imagine if if Princess Leia was in this, in this and she was the one that gave the idea that maybe some people have to die. I was like, that makes her such a complicated character. Mm-hmm. When you think about that, especially as such a powerful force in the rebellion that we see her as is like, man... Just, just, just the thought alone is like that's it, in my mind. That's kind of the concept of Andor. Is that 
we, we talk about all these characters that have so many gray lines and so many gray boxes, but what does the sacrifice look like from the rebellion side versus like everything isn't all peachy, everything isn't all, which of course is one of the greatnesses of Rogue One. Everybody dies at the end. It was like, oh shit, niggas died. They died for a cause. But imagine if they had to be sacrificed, like, you know, somebody else was sacrificing them for a cause. I think that's so such an interesting thing um, to play with. And I think Luthen finds himself also having to pick and choose the times and ways in which he's, he decides to uphold that idea himself. And, and I think that's really interesting, too. It's like, OK, uh, uh, is Luthen going to is, is, is he going to be on the side of man? Maybe Andor should be the sacrifice or is Luthen going to be on the side of like, no, no. Maybe some people have to be sacrificed. Maybe this isn't the guy. Maybe we need him. You know, I, there's just so many different things, I think, to play with. Um, but I love how I really love how Luthen is really getting nitty gritty. Right. Luthen is the he's the mediator between everyone. He is the one that talked to Endor, Mon Mothma, Saul Guerrero. He has his assistant. He is the one that, he does feel like the guy in the middle that eventually is going to bring everyone together. Right. That is what it feels like. But I, I, I love that. He's not, he's not only influencing all the people he touches, but everyone is also influencing him. The conversation with him and Saul is like, oh man, this is, I don't know what's going down, but y'all, it's like y'all clearly on the same side, but some of y'all just have some ideas at some of the diff, at different times. And we haven't always seen that in Star Wars, the complicated nature of what the rebellion looks like. The show also does give us that complicated nature of the Imperial side too. But I think that's what part of makes this show great is like, it's just not black and white. And it's, I think that's really cool, um, especially when it comes to Luthen's character. Yeah, it, it's incredibly nuanced because when you enter into the world of Star Wars, if A New Hope is your first movie, the rebellion is fully formed. They just seem like this this coalition of people that have exactly. it all figured all out. All and they're just working together. Everything mm-hmm. is nice and easy and they're able to overcome the Empire. We've only really ever seen that. We've never seen just the, the Herculean effort that it would take to unite these different factions across the galaxy under one banner and under one cause because there's no real reason for people to do something like that like if you have your own belief system if you have your own way of moving about things if you have your own set of allies well why would i partner up with this unknown group of rebels on such and such planet Mm -hmm. because they could fuck up what i have going on but luthan seeing the bigger picture realizes okay in order to get everyone on the same page we actually have to do some really dark shit. Like we have to shake the table. Therefore, yeah. some people will have to be sacrificed. Some people will have to to die. And the, the 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 grip of the empire has to tighten. It has to get to the lowest point possible in order for everybody to finally wake up and say, "Wait, wait a second now. What what the hell is this? This is this is too far." But he even said at one point. I think he was talking to Clara as well. He was saying that the grip of the empire has tightened so much that we've all we've we've almost forgotten that they have a grip mm-hmm. on us to begin with like yeah. now they're just they're just dealing with it and that's where it becomes unacceptable they need to actually shake the table in order for this stuff to have some real momentum and movement behind it bringing us to that conversation with Saw Guerrero which is one of my favorite moments so far in this show it was such a such an incredible just opportunity to see Forrest Whitaker and Stellan Skarsgård sit across from each other and just crazy. Act. It's just words. <laughs> Nothing's happening. No fight choreography, no lightsabers, no bullets. Like they're just talking, but I'm leaning in like, yo, this is incredible. And we find out a lot of information in that moment. When you hear Saw Guerrero talk about these disparate factions, the fact that there's separatists and there's neo-republicans and there's galaxy partitionists is one thing he says and there's human cultists and i'm like human cultists like that sounds kind of that sounds kind of racist like 
are y'all excluding alien races <laughs> from Absolutely. y'all cult? Like that that's what it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. And I never I never conceptualized that in Star Wars. I never thought that that was like a thing that there would be rebel factions who yes, do oppose the empire. But in and of themselves, they also have their own exclusionary practices. Like they yeah. also don't fuck with other people who are technically still fighting for the same cause wow. just because you might be an alien. Like the fact that we're getting into that at this point in this show just shows me this is on a different level of maturity. What did you think about just hearing that? The fact that it feels like for the first time we are really exploring this this really great territory in which even on the rebel side, there might be some really shitty people. Yeah, it's it's. It's just really cool, man. Um, it's one of those things that, like, sometimes in a comic or a book, Star Wars will give you, but it's just we just haven't seen it in TV slash movie form, and it's 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 finally coming coming to light how some of these people can exist, and I think it's really important because um, they they kind of tell you that like during certain periods of Star Wars. Although there are a lot of different races, there there is like a boom of like people conceptualizing the galaxy, like in certain moments. So it's like even I think in this moment, actually, it might be like Andor, where there's just a big boom of knowledge happening across the galaxy where people are like, oh, shoot, there's aliens over there. And that's what they look like. Oh, who are those people over there? There's just a, a big helping thing of knowledge happening and, 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 and people are starting to be like mm, i don't know how i feel about that race i don't know how i feel about these aliens over here especially after like clone wars happens right everyone's like "Ooh, this planet did what they did what on this planet oh shoot i don't know about that and and so i, I love how things are progressing and people are starting to figure out where they align in their own beliefs those human cultists i'm i'm pretty sure that's a, that's a whole religion <laughs> of people that are just like that and they could they're probably on a specific planet right now doing very specific things like no nah, we don't fuck with them but we don't fuck with the rebellion and like you said it's all it's going to take all these groups of people who a lot of them probably don't agree with each other to eventually um um overthrow the empire as we see like you said we come we come into into um a new hope and all of these races are kind of already together. Can you imagine how many races mm-hmm. didn't make it? Imagine how many races didn't make it into the Rogue Squadron. All these, you know what I mean? All these 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 rebellion efforts. Um, and so I, I also love the idea that like we have to we might have to contact these people and they might say no. Mm-hmm. And where does that put them? Where do they lie? Where do where where does all this happen? And so, man, like you said, I really enjoy enjoyed the conversation between Saul and Luthen because even it's 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 really cool because Star Wars is a huge cons, uh, concept when it comes to scope, how many planets there are, these races and species. And then it's like, okay, let's add an extra layer. There's probably a religion within these species that might not fuck with certain people, and there's probably a there's probably people in the rebellion who was like. Of course, they've never seen a Jedi before, right? But imagine they like have hated them in in their religion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they're still part of the rebellion. They just don't fuck with the Empire. Like I just I just love, like you said, all all of that nuance, all of these different different things that's coming into light in the Star Wars realm because it it really is the concept to me that makes it so cool. You can do so much in Star Wars, and here they're like, okay, we're going to do it. This is what this is. These are the lines that have been drawn or the lack thereof, and I think that's really dope. Yeah, and when when we go back and look at the rebellion now in in other media, when they are more fully formed and they're being led by Leia Organa and Mon Mothma, 
that's the really aspirational version. That's mm-hmm. the best of them. But right now, it's it's nowhere near that. There's so much work that has to be done to get them to that level. Speaking of Mon Mothma, though, I think that these three episodes have done so much for her character. I love I love everything that's happening with her and the fact that she just has to continue to put on this front for the Senate <laughs> and be this person that she really is not. And and one of the big arcs that takes place over these three episodes is her meeting an old friend, uh, Tay Coma, I believe his name is. He's a banker. And so she's now working with him essentially to secure money to fund rebel activities. And so they are working covertly behind the scenes to utilize money that they should not be using in order to fund these activities and to fund these big grand things that have to occur to get these these movements, you know, uh, continuously happening for the for the rebellion. And so we see her in episode seven specifically have a conversation with Tay Coma, just telling him, like, I'm not who you think I am. And this whole thing is a front. This is not who I truly am. And. At a certain point, this will all come to light. What's it, what's exactly happening here? And she doesn't she doesn't always key him in with the exact information just to to keep him at bay a little bit. But she does trust him enough into which they lean into this whole financial aspect of it. But we also see that this is causing this is going to cause some significant issues because there's like a lot of money at play. I think I think she tossed out the number like four hundred thousand or something like that because she's wow. she's run out of money from her family fortune or she she's starting to run out at least like she's starting to run slim on the money from her family fortune that she can use. And so they're leaning into this banking stuff. But this is also another piece, again, of, of Star Wars lore and mythology that hasn't been tapped to quite as much that I've always desired to see more of. What are the financial implications of all of this? This shit can't be cheap. Like, my guy, <laughs> Emperor Palpatine, is building this Death Star that takes, like, 35 years to build. How expensive is that shit? Like, wow. you can look on Wikipedia and there's, like, estimates, but it's like, <laughs> well, what does that number even mean? Like, how much is this really? But I love seeing that on the opposite side of it, the the rebellion, which has significantly less resources, of course, compared to the empire, she is working to 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 call these resources and this money together so much so that she has to lean into an old friend, and at the same time maintain appearances in front of the Senate. She still has to go to these parties mm-hmm. and drink the wine and dress up, which, by the way, her outfits are always like ten out of ten on point. But yeah. she just has to maintain all of these appearances while this stuff is happening behind the scenes. In addition to that, she disagrees with Luthen's tactics. You know, she's she's in opposition to him. But I think what she's doing is equally as important as what Luthen is doing. I feel like both of those things have to happen at the same time in order for all of this to really continue to move in the way that it does. But what do you think about just like everything she's dealing with, the challenges that she's facing and just the fact that she has to play it even more low key than anybody because she now knows people are watching her and she is very much a public face in terms of her position on the Senate. Yeah, in a lot of ways, she probably has the most risky and the probably the scariest role in all of this, right? She's the one that has to pull up to the Senate all the time, right, weekly, <laughs> and say uh, and try to make just these political moves because she could she could misstep at any time and Palpatine go. Okay, what's going on here? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, um, and, it, and it really does take her efforts to get a lot of this done. Like you said, she's running out of money. She has to go to the party and and ask favors to to free up accounts, all kind of other things, just so she can they can have access uh, um, to this money. And it, it's it's it, I understand it could be scary for her, right? Because a lot of it, sure, she has a husband, but a lot of it feels like she's moving by herself a lot of times, especially when. Of course, her and Luthen do have ties, but even that feels loose because of the public figure she is. Like even that is like, 
just a slight disconnect in the things and the decisions that she has to make. Luthen's not going to understand all of the political jargon, <laughs> all, all the things that she goes through in, in that chamber. But she 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 has to make a lot of those decisions herself. I know there's a Fertha, right, who was on her side, which is also scary because he's like two two people removed from Palpatine, <laughs> which is <Right>. like <laughs> which is like oh my god, how are we even this close? Um, but I I I really love how I, I feel like in any rebellion there has to be the political figure. We've seen that in human. Real ass history in our entire lives. Civil rights, there had to be a Malcolm and Martin. No matter what the movement is, there feels like there has to be the political face. There has to be somebody who's there moving the money. And, and my Mothma is that. And so um, I just love what she's doing from a from from a rebel standpoint. But I also love, again, how understandable and relatable my Mothma has to be in this moment. She's like, I'm a political head. Luther, you kind of wilding. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> what are you doing here? Like, what are we doing? Do, do I have to cut ties or what's going on? And, and I love how they have to converse, have a conversation about that. And so I just think it, I, I think it's dope um, that they put her character in these situations. But it also makes me respect her more, too. Actually, a lot of these characters, you, a lot of the things they have to go through, you're like, man, I respect that. Because that's yeah. not a it's not an easy thing to do. And so I find myself being like, damn, man, like you. You were realer than I ever thought you were going to be, or than I thought you were. Like you, this is some real stuff that you have to go through. So, um, I, I I'm enjoying her too because she they, they keep adding layers to everybody, and, and especially my Mothma as well. Yeah, she she's risking quite a ton, as you said. It might be more than anybody, and to witness the paradigm shift that she's experiencing too, because mine seems like that person who thought that the change can come from within the, within within mm. the inside like she can just join the senate be this public face and a piece of that is true i think i think that that partly partially holds true as to what you say like you kind of need that political figurehead who can give you the information that you just otherwise wouldn't have access to because you're not in the room in which you know these these decisions are being made but also at the same time she's having to do things that are in direct opposition now as these three episodes have taken place and we have seen just like how much she is getting closer and closer to possibly being exposed. What I want to hear from you is and your thoughts. Do you think it's possible that Emperor Palpatine pops up this season? And, and you know, the, the, the creator of this, the creators of the show, Tony Gilroy has, has talked about how that this, this is meant to be the complete antithesis of fan service in terms of Star Wars, which I, I love that. I, I love that we can just see a story and we don't have to think about, well, what does it connect to and who's going to mm-hmm. pop up and what cameos are we going to see? But I think if I think if Palpatine were to actually show up, it wouldn't be fan service. I think it actually would service the story legitimately now that we're hearing his name more now that we know that the proximity proximity between Mon Mothma and Palpatine is pretty close at at this particular stage and the fact that he is he's becoming more acutely aware of the bullshit that's going on on the ground and he's making moves to start to change legislation and taxes and political maneuvering do you think it's possible we might see him pop up at this at the end of the season I think the possibility is there for sure I'm not sure they're going to do it yet but I think the possibility is absolutely there. And I think what what they could do something really cool here because we could see Palpatine in a light that we've never seen, right? Let's say Mon Mothma and Palpatine are in the same room. She is likely completely unaware of this man being a Sith <laughs> uh, or anything like that, right? She's completely unaware of, shoot, even him being one of the only living pe- persons with a lightsaber, all of it. You know, um, and, and so I think they can they can kind of point him or paint him in this light that just uh, is even more 
a different kind of sinister than what we've seen, right? We have we of course in the the prequel trilogy, we do kind of see Palpatine in like a you know, we see him in a political state, right? But we've never seen him as the person that he is now, I think in in this moment. And I think it'd be I would love to see it. Like this is a this is one of those things where it's like we haven't seen Palpatine at this time at this moment. Where show us. This is the time for us to for him to pop up, especially how important this dude is to the franchise, apparently. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker, whatever that is. <laughs> but, like, I I, I just think it, it, it's... I feel like when the opportunity presents itself, like you said, it can service the story correctly. Like you said, it can be the opposite of fan service, and you still give us something that makes sense. And I think all, all arrows are pointing to something here that says Palpatine makes sense here um, to see him. We may not see him as a Darth Sidious or anything like that, but I think as a political figure that exists within the senate absolutely i think it'd be really cool to see it i would love to see just how he talks to other people at this time too you know what i'm saying like how how do you even speak in a room with mon mothma what are we even talking about what is the conversation um but yeah i I think it'd be really dope for him to pop up i actually i love that point i agree with you i think that every time we've seen him in this particular time period it is typically as the sith lord darth city is it's in proximity to vader it's in proximity to Dooku that we just saw mm-hmm. in Tales of the Jedi. I kind of want to see more Emperor Palpatine, the, the the leader of the Senate, the exactly. leader of the, the the Galactic Empire, which there was a ton of that in the prequels where we saw his cunning come to the forefront. We saw him really, you know, maneuvering his way in into the entire political system. But we haven't gotten a lot of that because, you you know, you, you want the you want the evil, delicious villain that has the crazy, raspy voice. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, we love that. That's iconic. But. To see a bit of a different side, I think, would be unexpected. And to your point, it would also it also wouldn't necessarily contribute to this idea of fan service. It would actually be more so for the story, because that that would be the way that he would present himself in in this type of setting. Let's transition to talk about really the big piece of these last three episodes, more so the last two. This is where this all comes into the forefront. But Mm -hmm. Cassian gets arrested. He is kind of careless. He goes on this this tropical vacation, changes his name and just gets caught up (laughs) in some weird shit, Um, gets identified by an android and receives six years imprisonment and and, and is taken to Narkina five, which is this this prison that's been designed that is quite frightening containing hundreds of prisoners and we see that he has to spend every day of his his existence within this prison basically building heavy duty heavy industry tools and equipment and we don't exactly know what he's building but we also get introduced to Andy Serkis who comes in as a surprise to the series I don't think anybody knew this it's a brand new character called Kino he is essentially in charge of this assembly line of of humans that have to build these parts within this factory, within this 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 prison factory, and so there are so many things that happen in the in the in the in the course of these two episodes in Narkina Five, and then in Episode Nine, nobody listens, where we just kind of see the dynamics of this prison take shape. We see Andy Serkis's character Kino ruling with an iron fist. He essentially is in he's in charge of the entire assembly line, and. He's in charge of productivity, essentially, at the end of the day. If they if they meet their goals, if they are on pace to deliver the things that they have to l- deliver by the end of their shift, that's one step closer to him delivering all of his shifts and, and getting closer to getting out of prison. So it's all about just the process for him. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he is very strict. He's very stern. He does not bend any rules. He is sticking to all of that stuff wholeheartedly. But then on the opposite side of that, we see Cassian be very observant to this whole process. We see him really observing everything that's taking place. 
He's looking at the entire makeup of the prison. He's trying to figure out the guards and the situations. He's just trying to gather as much information as he can because Cassian, we just kind of know he's plotting some sort of breakout. That right. That's really what this is all about. But the ultimate caveat to this entire situation is the fucking floor of the prison is their enemy. The floor is like rigged with heat and electricity. And if yep. you're caught on at a certain time, you're toast. Literally <laughs> fucking toast. You are done for and it's it's quite horrific the way that they've constructed this prison in which they walk around barefoot and if they get out of line or if they're caught outside of their their cell at a certain time like that that's their life it's literally on the line what were your thoughts when you just kind of saw the whole makeup of this because prison the way prisons are designed in any movies or or tv series it's really important in establishing kind of the rules of that like in, in establishing the rules of well what can you do what can't you do is this a feasible place to break out of? How many guards are there? What are they actually occupying themselves with? What did you think about just the whole makeup of that and the the, the power dynamics that ex- existed between Andy Serkis's character and also the rest of the men that were working on the assembly line? Yeah, I I love how clean this is. This is like the cleanest prison of all time. Everything is white. Everybody's wearing white. I'm just like, why is this so clear? <laughs> Why is how is this possible? Even the the working conditions, unlimited food is crazy. Our prisons could never. <laughs> they're, they're like they're just sitting in jail, like eating on demand. They just get it out the wall. And I was like, is this prison? Like, what is this for real? No, um, it's it's. I love whoever came up with this concept. I think it's really cool. Um, just seeing. Again, this is like another one of those things in Star Wars you just never thought about. It's like oh, there's freaking prisoners doing slave labor somewhere, building machinery. Where? When? Why have I never thought about that in the Star Wars world? But it makes sense when you think about it. Somebody has to be helping do all this labor, um, and it makes sense that it comes from prisoners. It's also crazy. You said it. The floor is lava. What? I have no idea how you break out of a prison like this where you can't touch the ground. I think this is one of those moments where it's like, look, y'all, this is why Cassian is so brilliant. Like, this is like, y'all thought the heist was crazy. Wait till he gets out of this prison. And I <laughs> sure can't wait because I think it's going to be uh, um, really dope, man. Uh, I think it's it. I, I can't I, I, like you said, you can see the wheels turning in his head. You can see the scheme coming together. He's looking at the elevator come up and down. He's looking at moments where he can steal guns and, and, and hurt guards. I'm like, yeah. I can't wait. First is heist, now it's jailbreak out. I'm loving it. Shoot, I'm down for it. Because uh, it feels like it, it speaks to Cassian's character. But, again, really cool concepts, man. Um, love that we got Andy Serkis here, like you said. I, he showed up, and I like I did the the whole um, Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he points at the <laughs> screen. Like, wait, I know who that is. Um, so I, I thought that was really cool. But, man, it's, it's, it's just good TV. It's a prison we've never seen before. One of the coolest things about Star Wars is taking a simple concept and making it Star Wars. Prison is one of them. How the hell do you make a Star Wars prison? And they did it. Like, this is it. I'm over here like, man. It it also, I also love how at the same time, it's speaking to politics. They are feeding these people unlimited because they want them to have the best work conditions. They don't want anybody passing out. They don't want any, they're, it's, it's such like a, I don't know. I, I just know it's, 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 it just really really interesting uh politics when it comes to prison industrial complex there's so much to talk about there but i love that they're addressing it and i love that it's in a star wars context i think it's really cool yeah it's phenomenal as you said this show is turned in it's transition i should say from a high show to now a prison break show which 
I, I, I didn't necessarily predict that that would be the course of these next few episodes, but here we are. And it's it's going to carry us through the rest of the season because this is not going to be an easy feat to break out of this prison if they are able to do so. And it's going to be quite the challenge to figure out just the whole makeup and the, the dynamic, the timing of how all of that stuff works. And you can just see all of those little seeds planted. But w- what's so interesting is, as you said, how clean this place is and the fact that everybody's in uniform, everybody's in white and on the surface, that looks like a really nice place to work at. It looks like it's a very healthy place to work at in terms of your conditions, but it also can be quite demoralizing when you see a place that's just so efficient and clean and just presentable in that way. Mm-hmm. It's also a death pit in reality because yeah. what we find out is is that this is really a concentration camp because at the Absolutely. end of episode nine we learn that they don't ever really get out. People have sentences and they're never truly released because there's that entire sequence in episode nine where level two, something crazy and chaotic is happening. One of the guys is doing ASL to try to communicate with the people that are on level two, can't get any information. Shit goes awry. The alarms are going off. People are just in in distress and don't know what's really happening. And we see really the results of this is, is that, Nobody ever really gets out of this place. These people are kind of in labor forever. And that's really the frightening realization of all of this. And I just, when I really truly conceptualized that and I I digested it after episode nine, I was like, wait a second. How the fuck did Lucasfilm get away with this? How how is Disney just like (laughs) cool with this? I I just, it's, (laughs) it's boggling the mind that they've gotten so dark when you really think about it. And it's just... But it's so brilliant, though, because I find that this is leaning into exactly the original inspiration of the Empire as what they Mm. were supposed to represent and what George Lucas utilized as inspiration. The fact that he looked at Nazis, he looked at the Holocaust, he looked at Adolf Hitler as his inspiration for the Empire. And just what we've never experienced when we talk about the Empire in Star Wars, we talk about Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine. And, you know, you see you see Alderaan explode in in, in A New Hope, Mm -hmm. but. It, it was it was a bodiless a bodiless encounter. We don't yeah. actually see people die. It just mm-hmm. it just explodes, and the implication is a million voices cried out in terror at the same mm-hmm. moment. That's what Obi Wan says, right? Like we we just get the impersonal nature of their effects and what they actually represent towards the galaxy. But here, this is tangible as fuck. To where the older crew member Ulaf at the end is he's he's dying because he just can't keep up with the work conditions, and they fucking poison them essentially to get rid of them you know it's just like i I, it just it was just seeing all of that happen and and to see the change in andy circus over the course of these two Mm -hmm. episodes which was just so incredible because he goes from being a guy about the system about the process about we only have this amount of shifts left let's get the job done and keep it pushing right like we just got to follow the rules and follow the process to then at the end of it when he sees how hopeless it actually is, wow. now he reveals the information that Andor was looking for. How many guards are on each level? Never more than 12. That fucking line gave me chills. It was like, mm-hmm. yo, this is this is next level. But I just love what they did here and really in really in, in in communicating just the terror of this oppressive nature of the Empire and what they truly represent across the galaxy. No, that's real, man. It's it's I I love just how Andy Circus was able to convey a quick switch, right? Two episodes, pretty quick to change a character, but that dude was scared shitless after that, right? It's it's he goes from, oh man, I only got a certain amount of shifts left to, oh no, it it's 
it's crazy, like you said, concentration camps, how they were fed false hope. That's what it was. You're fed false hope that there's an end. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's not, there is no light. There's no light bulb. There's no anything. It's just a tunnel. <laughs> it's an endless tunnel. That's mm-hmm. all you get. You're going to die eventually in the tunnel. Um, and, and, and I love how they're able to communicate that. But it's scary stuff out here on uh, Narcana 5, bro. It's it, it really is wild. Um, and even the terror when everything's going down and, and them signing across from each other is like, what is ha- even I was like, what is happening? Like I'm, I was just as confused as everybody else was. <laughs> I was like, what is going down in here? And to figure out everything going on and, and, and to see his character change really made the episode go, wow, that's some dark shit. And and I love that we have entered this territory of dark shit. So I'm all for it, man. But again, it sucks, but I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we even see, I think it might have been episode eight towards the end of episode eight, like a guy legit just offs himself. He jumps onto the onto oh, yep. the floor said, in good. the middle of the night. He's mm-hmm. he's so distraught and so hopeless about this entire situation, he kills himself by by wow. throwing himself on the floor and, and, and frying, essentially. It's just stuff like that where again I'm like, yo, Disney let Lucasfilm do this? Like, how is this even possible? I do want to ask you before we wrap up here. What do you think that they might be building? Because Andy Serkis has talked about in interviews that it is important. Mm. They are building something very important. This is not like a meaningless ex- exercise where they're just they're just you know putting parts together. And I've I've been I've been really racking my brain because you look at it and you can't you can't quite make out. I thought it might have been like droid parts, but then I'm wondering, well, perhaps it's bigger than that. Are they are are they building pieces of the of the Death Star? Mm. Are they building pieces of of Star Destroyers? Like what are they actually? creating in this factory because it, it, it's going to be apparent that it's it's in relation to probably something we know and I'm, I'm kind of terrified to find out because they're working around the clock and they're highly productive so whatever it is that they're producing the empire is going to have a lot of it but do you have any thoughts as to what they might be actually producing in this factory in this prison at least timeline wise i i i'm, I'm gonna stick with the, the death star story man um just thinking about how long it takes to make the Death Star. We know we see it in Rogue One. <laughs> we know we see it. So I'm, I'm going to go with that, man. And I also think it's crazy. If I think it'd be really brilliant writing to see that Cassian Andor actually had, was forced to have a hand on building these things that led to his demise. I think it's poetic. It sucks. It's sad. It's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. But I think it's poetic. So I'm going to stick with the Death Star story for sure. I think I like that. Yeah, that that's 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 really that's a really keen observation because it is sad, you know, almost tragic in that respect. But then, you know, Cassian isn't necessarily the greatest guy if we as we've talked about. He he's that's done true. some really questionable shit. But I think a piece of Rogue One is a bit of his redemption. You know, mm-hmm. figuring out his way and becoming a part of the rebellion and being a really influential figurehead. And 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 ideally, this story as we end out these final few episodes and then go into the next season. We can start to see that take a little bit more shape over the subsequent years as we get closer to Rogue One. But as you said, his direct connection to that Death Star and and, and the manufacturing of that weapon and the fact that it might have led to his demise, but it also led to the moment that that changed the course for the rebellion that's, as well. That's true. Simultaneously, it's it's a really it's kind of crazy when you think about it. it but is. I cannot wow. wait for these <laughs> last three episodes. I, I'm I'm absolutely just locked into this show i think it's going to be an incredible ending and we know that some sort of big battle 
will come at the end of this season as as it's been teased out in the previews. But there is plenty to look forward to as it relates to Andorra. So we will be back in a few weeks to talk about the final three episodes as we enter into the home stretch. But if you've checked out the most three episodes, most three recent episodes of Andor on Disney Plus, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, let's go ahead and transition and talk about a couple of movies that we checked out that we got to review. First up, we have to talk about the brand new psychological drama that just premiered on Apple TV Plus, Causeway. Hey, you good? Hey, look, if it get dark now, you just ride it, okay? Yeah. Yeah. How do I do that? <laughs> All right, what's dark? Being back here. You don't got love for this city. It's not the city. Then what is? Now, this movie is directed by Lila Nugenbauer, and it's written by Otessa Mashfiq, Luke Goebel, and Elizabeth Sanders, and it's starring Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry. So Causeway is a brand new film that is co-produced by A24 and also Apple Studios, and it recently just premiered on Apple TV Plus as a streaming-only release. Jennifer Lawrence, notably one of the biggest actresses in the world, Academy Award winning actress. She is supremely talented, but it's been a minute since I think we've seen her in a project. At least for me, I think the last time I remember seeing her in a movie was Don't Look Up from last year, the Netflix mm. original film that had the stars that it cast. I didn't even count it. Brian, I don't blame you. <laughs> Brian Tyree Henry, we we know he's just been out here steadily working. He's currently in in the final season of Atlanta, which is airing on FX. But we've seen him in a, in a ton of other things as well, including a recent appearance in Marvel Studios Eternal. So both working together, but not necessarily two actors that I would have thought may have worked together in a film. This seems like a bit of an odd pairing, but on the surface, um, though it might seem as an odd pairing, it actually turns out that there's there's a bit of chemistry there. But this is a story about a army veteran who comes home and has to readjust to life. That's played by Jennifer Lawrence's character. She comes back home to New Orleans and has to readjust to her life back there. But we got a chance to check this one out on Apple TV Plus this past weekend. But with all of that out of the way, I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about Causeway? You know, sometimes typical works for me and sometimes it doesn't <laughs> um, and I think this is one of those movies that exists as such a, a a patient and honest character study that it absolutely works for me and in these movies really do truly only work if the acting is good and you kind of just spoke to it but I think the chemistry between Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry 
was just so surprising here. Like you said, I did for a million years would not have even thought they'd be in the same movie, in the same atmosphere of being in the same movie. But here we are, me saying I I enjoyed this film. Uh, there's something about Jennifer Lawrence that, of course, she's an she is an amazing actress. But it's been a while since I've been like I liked that performance from her. Maybe since like Mother, I remember she was really good in Mother. Um, Passengers isn't their greatest movie ever, but I, I think I liked her in it. <laughs> um, but it's it's this is one of those where I was like, this felt like what Jennifer Lawrence kind of used to do, right? Kind of closer to her to a Silver Linings playbook where she's just playing a she is playing an average girl, but there's layers to her, and there's a reason that she moves the way she moves um, um, in this film. And so I found myself enjoying it, man. I actually. It's. I think it's underrated when watching this. A lot of people won't say this, but I actually really like the way this movie is shot. <laughs> um, like I was, I, I love the way it's color graded, and I love the way that um, maybe it could just be the camera they used. There was just some stuff I was like, dang, I like the way that looks. This looks really good. Um, and you, again, you really wouldn't uh, expect you know me to say that from. It's like it's just a drama, <laughs> you know, um, and a very a very low level drama, but. Given that, man, it's it, it is a refreshing story. We have been getting a lot of loud and over the top films lately. We haven't been getting a lot of down to the earth character studies and especially character studies that have to do with two two people who both deal with some random thing that happened in their life and, and how they come together because of that. I haven't I don't know. I just feel like I haven't watched that in a while. It's it's I can't even it's not a rom com. It's not a, you know what I'm saying? It very much is just a, a very innocent drama. And I think it allowed both actors to breathe and, and, and to, to give us something, um, some honesty that we haven't seen uh, behind acting in a while. Because there there wasn't any noise in the background, if that makes sense. There was no random spy shit going on in this movie. There was no, you know, it was just two people. And, and, and that's what I mean. Sometimes I just enjoy typical. And this was it. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved how there, there there were a couple moments um, with layers. My, my only downfalls of the film, there was a couple moments that it was like, dang, that was a little cheesy. You didn't have to do that. <laughs> or like there was a couple lines in there. I was like, ah, that felt a little, it's a little cliche. I guess you could say that line, like I guess. But um, other than that, man, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a, I'm gonna call it cute. It's a cute little film on Apple TV Plus that I think is worth watching. It's not too long. I love the runtime. I was like, hell yeah, hour 30, I could do that. Easy peasy. Um, so yeah, man, it, it, it's not without its flaws, but I think if, if anybody just wants a cool little drama, you like Brian Tyree Henry and you like Jennifer Lawrence, I, I absolutely recommend it. Yeah. Causeway is certainly an experience that is powered by its performances and its direction because of the fact that this is a quiet, subdued film. There is not a lot happening. At least that's, that's what it seems like. There's not a lot happening on the surface because this is a moment, or excuse me, this is a movie that's more so about moments of dialogue and character mm -hmm. interactions and just the way that people have dealt with their own interpersonal demons and trauma over the years. And a lot of it is about some of these effects of trauma and how they linger in your life and how you just cope and deal with those things over the course of the, the subsequent years. And ultimately, 
there are just many stories in which you just don't kind of get to see people deal with that. Oftentimes, mm. films show us the trauma and we experience it firsthand. And then yeah. we, we might spend a little bit of time sort of unpacking that after the fact. But this is a movie where the two lead characters, Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry, like their trauma has already happened. It, it, it occurs off screen. Now, the 90 minutes that we get to sit, you know, spend with them is just about how they come together, you know, based on a couple of just coincidence coincidences and commonalities and the fact that these are two somewhat lonely people you know trying to figure out their way and and and, and understand what their next steps are going to be in life and i think many people end up in that situation where you're just kind of in a dark episode and in a dark moment of your life and there's not really a clear outlook on what the next year even would look mm. like and, and and maybe you think you're supposed to be doing something but in actuality it might not it might not be the best thing for you and I really love what Jennifer Lawrence did here I don't think we've seen her act this way in quite a while where she's mm. taking on something that feels a little bit more introspective I think a lot of the stuff I mean she's become a superstar reasonably so she's so popular now and she's done a lot of huge movies and 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 a, and a lot of noisy movies at that exactly. where this this is just a chance to just really strip all of that away and look at just her as a bare bones, normal character that you feel like you might run into. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she's also like a, a female army veteran is something we don't typically see. And I really love that about mm, this movie. That's that true. We're examining the stuff that affected her, this actual real traumatic incident that she experienced that, that physically affected her and emotionally affected her. That stuff just doesn't get talked about that often. So I love that we got to spend time there. And then Brian Tyree Henry's character, just the, 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 the personal demons that he's experiencing and how that actually relates to her struggle as well. Yeah. All of that stuff is just kind of beautifully handled. I think there's a certain level of sensitivity and care that you have to address with certain topics like that, because this is not necessarily a true story, but you can imagine people go through these things in, in real life. They've experienced a lot of these situations that occur in this film. And so the sensitivity sen- sensitivity to approach the material, I thought was I thought was really, really well done. And just again, the performances and the direction here kind of bolster this movie to be something that is Definitely worth watching, I would say. If you want something a little bit more contemplative and introspective and quiet, you do have to understand that that's the type of movie it is. And this is something that's worthwhile because you'll get to just learn about some characters that feel so real and they feel human at the end of the day. And I think that that's that's something that we often just don't get when Mm. many movies these days kind of favor spectacle. They favor the noise. They favor the big stuff. As you said, to get something that's just, you know, stripped down and simple and quiet is it's it's a bit refreshing these days. And I think also with it being on Apple TV, it's kind of the perfect place for it to exist. The whole aesthetic kind of just matches what they've been trying to achieve on Apple TV+. Plus. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's a good look for them. So definitely can't recommend this one enough. If you haven't checked out Causeway, it's streaming on Apple TV Plus right now. Those are our thoughts on the movie. If you you have seen this movie, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. With that being said, let's transition to our other movie that we're going to review this week, the brand new mystery comedy that just premiered on HBO Max, See How They Run. Victim's name is Leo Kopernik, sir. Seems he was killed in the costume store. And then he was deposited here. Staged, so to speak. Sorry, sir. How much longer do you intend to hold us all hostage? Or is that the idea? Gather all the suspects and interrogate each of us in turn until the mystery is solved? Marvin Cochranar's overrated playwright. Celebrated playwright? Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I can't read my own handwriting. There was an incident. I'll kill you. <gasps> it's as good as a confession. It's not jump to conclusions, constable. What do we have here? <laughs> Working late, huh? 
He killed Kopernik to hush up the affair. Case closed. I'm doing it again, aren't you, sir? Jumping to conclusions. Okay. Yeah. A little bit. You've never heard of Richard Attenborough. A real-life detective. I understand that you came to blows the night in question. It was me, Inspector. I arrest you for the murder of Leo no, Cochran. No, no. We have a serial killer on the loose. Please, stand back! He keeps the key! Ah! Under the mat. We are no longer merely suspects. We are also... potential victims. So what did he do that made you suspicious? It wasn't so much what he did, it was more the way he did it. How did he do it? Sort of... suspiciously. Right. Now, this film is directed by Tom George, and it's written by Mark Chappell, and it's starring Sam Rockwell, Sorcia Ronan, Adrian Brody, Ruth Wilson, Reese Shearsmith, Harris Dickinson, and David Oyelowo. Now, see how they run. Had a theatrical run a few short months ago. I know that this was something that was... On both of our radars, we saw the posters, we saw the trailer a few times. It seemed entertaining enough, and definitely some talented people attached to this film, of course. The likes of Sam Rockwell, Sorcia Rona, but also the supporting cast, David Oyelowo, Adrian Brody. Definitely an impressive assembling of talent here. And so, it finally became available on streaming on HBO Max, so we got a chance to check it out this past weekend. With that out the way, I'll pass it over to you. What were your thoughts on See How They Run? I had a good time, man. Um, there's, there's been a lot of Agatha Christie in the air recently. <laughs> uh, and this is probably the, uh, in some ways the, the most different, um, I'd say, right. Well, we've been, we've talked about, um, death on the Nile and murder express on this podcast a little bit with those coming out. Those are literal Ag- Agatha Christie books. Um, and we also know knives out, right. It's around the corner. It's a, it's a very, very excited, um, uh, for, for knives out too, to come out. Um, but this, this is the one that is a legit spoof is what I would call it of, of see how, uh, of an Agatha Christie book or Agatha Christie play, um, as is presented in, in the movie itself. And so it, it, it really is a detective story about a detective story, which I think is, 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 is funny and really cool. But I, I, I found myself again, um, just enjoying myself, enjoying the performances, um, that ex- existed in the film. Uh, after watching this film, I realized again how much I really like Shorsha Ronan. She is every time she's on screen, the girl just is electric. She's she's also one of those people that I she picks movies very well, right? Like Grand Budapest Hotel, like Little Women. I don't know, just something about the movie she picks. I'm like, yeah, I, I feel like I need to watch this. Um, she, just, I think she gets her. I think she gets her brand, uh, but I also really like Sam Rockwell. I think Sam Rockwell always adds a level of uh, uh, probably the same kind of idea. Like you should watch this. Sam Rockwell's in it, right? Jojo Rabbit, Green, The Green Mile, Three Billboards. Like I don't know. He's he's also just one of those people that when he's in a film, is a certain level of charisma that gets added to the screen. And so I I, I was excited to watch it for that reason too. But I've also been been just really excited to see a lot of these mysteries and see how they turn out um, in these films. Uh, because, again, that's the age we're in right now. A lot of people are doing the mystery films. A lot of people are doing the whodunits. But it, I think it's really the people that can 
add a little different flair or something different to it that makes it interesting. I think See How They Run does a decent job. It, it's not without the, without its flaws at all. But I think it does a decent job of, of, of keeping my attention in in me having fun with the characters presented again social ronan's constable every time she's on she's on the screen i'm like yep this is why i'm here <laughs> i'm here for this and i'm here for, for uh for, for this lady because she really was like carrying a lot of the movie for me for me personally but i also um yeah i like the mystery man um again it's not perfect the story in itself wasn't like the most crazy interesting ever the big reveal wasn't like the most oh my god this is what's happening big reveal thing ever um but again i think it was entertaining uh for me enough to enjoy myself and i think that was one of the the, the more important parts of the film for me i also love little details in whodunits i i'm a sucker for that um uh maybe not next week but we'll talk about uh enola holmes two later too which i just recently watched but i in movies like that, I'm always looking for the subtle, this is a clue here. This is the clue. Okay, but what does that mean? I think this movie had enough of that and, and enough reveals for me to be surprised at certain at certain times, which I enjoyed. So not too much to add to that, but um I think it's I think it's I think it's fine, man. It's it's I don't think it it's not a knives out, and it's not as bad as a, a, a death on the Nile either, which whatever that movie was <laughs> but i i did enjoy myself and i think um that's all that mattered uh especially when enjoying the performances i think everyone really was having fun with the role and i think that's important yeah coming in to see how they run i don't want to say that i necessarily had high expectations because i didn't but I, I i did anticipate wanting to at least really really like it like, like most movies there's not really there's not many opportunities i go into a movie like i i hope i hate this um that, that would be a little <laughs> weird but Outside of the film and after watching it, you know, it, it, it turned out to be an OK experience for me. It definitely for me, there was there was some some to be left desired when 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 watching this movie. I think that what works for it is the fact that it does not take itself so serious. I think that that's actually the biggest benefit of it. The fact that it is sort of spoofing whodunits and we have gotten a lot of those lately. But it's a little untraditional because it's not a modern take. This is a period piece at the end of the day. You know, this is something that is set in the past. And so that that might throw some people off. But I do think the fact that it just doesn't take itself seriously, really from the opening moments when you turn this movie on, you can tell like, oh, this is meant to kind of be a gag and, and really play with the tropes of, of mysteries and whodunits and just everything that exists within that genre and, and all of the, the things that you would just come to expect out of a story like that. And I think it mostly it mostly achieves that. And and I also found that the characters in the film, many of them have chemistry with each other, most notably Sam Rockwell, Sorcerer Ronan. They work really, really well together. I found them anytime they were on screen was when I was at my most engaged mm. and when I enjoyed the movie the most. Kind of my problems exist with just the pacing of it. It's not a terribly long movie, but I found that not even midway through, maybe even before that, I just I just felt that the momentum of the story had been lost. I was really invested within the first 20, 25 minutes or so, but I found that for me, a lot of the momentum had been lo lost along the way, and some of the spark just kind of fizzled out from the film, and I don't know if it ever really did a ton to get me back. It didn't lose me, per se. There were moments, but it kind of lost me, you know, about midway through the film, and it, it never really got me back as invested as I was when I had first fired it up on HBO Max. The movie does at times feel it feels like a string of moments kind of just stitched together to form a narrative, not necessarily a story. Yeah, because the story itself isn't strong, but there are a lot of moments that just pop up and you become invested in into what's happening on screen or it might capture your attention. But 
that that becomes a bit of a difficult movie watching experience for me, especially at home when there's just like so many other distractions that can possibly come into play. But I did find, you know, for the most part, again, that the performances were, were, were notably strong. The production and the set design and the costumes all look great. This this looks like a, a really a really great looking movie. I think that mm-hmm. all the, all of the craftsmanship elements behind it are just, you know, exceptional and, and done really well. But the story just kind of lost me along the way, and I I wanted a little bit more out of it, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to the reveal by the end, which was somewhat of a surprise. I, I can give it credit there, but also mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't necessarily satisfying, which is exactly. a bit of a disappointment. That's kind of the thing. Like it could be it could, it could be a shock, it could subvert your expectations, but if it doesn't feel like a oh that was great, that was a really nice twist, then it, it kind of loses mm-hmm. it, it loses the effect, and so. Overall, fine movie. I think it's a, a it's a perfectly suitable watch. And in the land of what we're getting now within these these whodunits, which have become increasingly repopularized over the past couple of years with all of the things that you've mentioned, this is a nice one to add into it. I would say I would say it's probably better if you haven't seen any of these recent ones. If you haven't seen like Enola Holmes or Knives Out, maybe watch this one first to kind of mm, just like come into, into it, it because. I think everybody knows the tropes of whodunits. You kind of know mm-hmm. if you've read any of these novels, if you've watched any of them ever, you kind of know the tropes. And so to come into a story that plays with those tropes off top, I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. I think you can do that. And then watch some of these other better interpretations like A Knives Out, which I think has just like kind of elevated the whole genre as, mm-hmm. as of late. So definitely a suitable watch. And it is on HBO Max right now if you wanted to check it out. But those are our thoughts on See How They Run. If you've checked out this brand new mystery comedy, hit us up. And let us know what you think. And with that being said, let's transition and talk about the news of the week. Got a few big things to talk about. The first one, I just want to be clear and point out that there are several ways to look at this. There, there, there's something that actually happened, and then there's the implications of what could occur from it. Mm. Let's just present the facts first. The facts are, last Wednesday, iconic director Steven Spielberg met with new Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav. We've talked a lot about him on this podcast because mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. it's been going on at that company. They met last week for lunch, and Heat Vision over at The Hollywood Reporter had some inside sources that were privy to this lunch and also speculate about what the implications of this lunch could actually mean. They said in their article, quote, on Wednesday, Warner Brothers Discovery Chief David Zaslav and Steven Spielberg were having lunch at Warner Brothers com- Commissary. But then... Christopher Nolan, eating nearby, comes over to hang out after his lunch wrapped. And then new co-head of DC (laughs) Studios, Peter Safran, walked in and got to meet the whole gang, end quote. Now, the fact is this happened. (laughs) This is a real thing. It occurred. There was a lunch. The implications of this is where we're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail. It should be noted that this does not mean that anything is happening for sure. This could have just been a lunch between buddies. This could have sure. just been somewhat of a happy coincidence. I have a hard time believing it was a coincidence, but it was a lunch nonetheless. They could have been talking about a litany of things. Steven Spielberg has a movie coming out this fall, The Fablemans. Chris Nolan is also working on a movie that's going to come out next year, Oppenheimer. Those are both not under the purview of Warner Brothers Discovery. Both of those films are going to come out through Universal, but you never know what could they could be discussing. It could have also just been a listening meeting on the part of Zaslav. We know that some director relationships got damaged under the previous regime regime over at AT&T and Warner Brothers. A lot of directors were were very upset by some of the decisions that were made, notably Chris Nolan. He left Warner Brothers to go to Universal because of everything that went down last year. So this could have just been a way to 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 reconvene and get back on the same page. Mm-hmm. However, 
With all of that said, this could also mean something else entirely. And the speculation is that this might this might add some fuel to the fire of a potential Superman Man of Steel sequel that is on the horizon mm-hmm. that could perhaps be directed by Steven Spielberg himself. That is what's being speculated. Now, again, nothing of the sort is confirmed. It's not even anywhere near confirmed. But it is worth pointing out that Peter Safran, co-head of DC Studios, co-CEO, who we just talked about recently alongside with James Gunn, they're now leading the charge of DC Studios. He was at this meeting. So that's a very explicit connection to make between filmmaker, CEO, studio head, there's stuff there. Chris Nolan, I don't know. I don't know what that could mean. That could be a, a, a producerial thing. It could just be some advice. It could just be two buddies again meeting up. We don't really know. Let's just play the hypothetical game for a second. (laughs) Let's just have some fun with it. Let's just speculate. (laughs) Let's just say Blue Sky World, Steven Spielberg is meeting with David Zaslav and Peter Safran to talk about directing Man of Steel 2. Wow. What the fuck? If that is true, I mean, what are we talking about here, really? Uh, Like, (laughs) what's the conversation really look like? I want to hear what your thoughts are on that. If If this is what they were actually talking about, how would you react to that news? First and foremost, I have to say I lose my shit completely Um, because Steven Spielberg, come on. Second, John Williams has to come out of retirement. (laughs) Like, he has, like, you got to come back for Steven Spielberg's Superman film. Like, sorry, John, I'll be knocking on John Williams' door like, hey, bro, uh uh-uh. You gotta, nah, bro. You gotta come back. Uh, we You're gonna ask you. John Williams to conceive yep. another iconic timeless yes. Superman score after he's already done so forty years ago. Yes, come back. <laughs> John Williams has to come back. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> Wake up from slumber. Uh, you oh. don't. You don't get to take this one off. This is now. This this is your for real goodbyes. Superman is Superman. Nah, but this. Wow. I like. It's it's even hard to like think about. Because in, in, until something like this is, you know, would actually happen. But man, what a world it would be for to see a Steven Spielberg Superman film. We talked about him on the podcast recently for something I forgot what it was. But we we you you've discussed or you've said how how Steven Spielberg really was like the curator of wonder, right? Between like ET, all spacey kind of things, and the Super Eights. And, just all of those, all of those, those, those movies, and it 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 makes so much sense for Steven Spielberg to direct a Superman film. I think the only what the only thing that makes this weird is the taste in your mouth of Man of Steel one. I actually really like that movie. I've it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I really like the first Man of Steel. I think it's low key kind of crazy at times, but. The darkness of that would never fit what Steven Spielberg would, would seek out to do, I I think. And so that's like the weird thing I think you have to play with um, in, in that concept is what does a Steven Spielberg Superman movie look like in the context of the DCEU? I think that's the hard part. That's like, okay, but what does that really actually look like? Can Steven Spielberg... Not canny, he can do anything he wants. But would Steven Spielberg actually go into a dark territory that fits the Man of Steel bill? I don't know. I don't know if that's 100% true or what that looks like. But regardless, I absolutely love the idea. Um, And I would love if something like like this was to happen. If the news comes out, uh, you'll see me buying a Superman shirt. 
I don't know when. <laughs> if that was to ever happen, I would be on the Man of Steel 2 train. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I, I just love that this is a cool thing that we could talk about. That all these big people are like in here having lunch because it's like, uh oh, what's going on? What's going down? Um, but yeah, that's how I feel about it. I, w- I would probably lose my shit if that was to be announced. I think that there's smoke here. I don't think it's a coincidence that Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, Peter Safran, <laughs> and David Zaslav, probably four of the busiest men in Hollywood, that's just true. so happen to be at lunch at the same time on the same day. There's no fucking accidents there. You could you imagine how hard it is to get on any of their calendars? That's true. I think that there's smoke here. As it as it pertains to what it is, that's the that's the tough question and what we don't know. Because it could be anything. It, it 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 could be completely unrelated to Superman. But again, for the purposes of this speculation, speculation in this conversation, just having fun here, the what if of it all. Can you imagine a Steven Spielberg directed Superman movie? The, 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 the man has done everything that there is to do and then some. He has etched his name into history five times over. He is probably yep. the greatest living director yep. that we have. The Fablemans is out this fall. Semi-autobiographical story. Feels like it kind of puts a bow on his career, mm-hmm. right? It feels like it might be the story that really brings his entire filmmaking journey to a close. Not saying he's going to retire, but The Fablemans is meant to be semi-autobiographical in that sense about his upbringing mm-hmm. and his right. love for film. What else could Steven Spielberg do? What mountain is there left to climb? We probably most recently talked about him because there were a lot of rumors that he might have been directing Fantastic Four for Marvel. Mm. We now know that that's not the case. Allegedly, he was not interested. That could have been cool. But when you think about a character that feels Spielbergian, that feels like something pulled out of the comics that he would excel at, particularly, it is Superman. Mm -hmm. That is the character. Because Henry Cavill has recently said, now that he's returned to the role, he is excited to explore a joyous, Mm. Happy, wonderful, optimistic mm-hmm. Superman. Exactly. There's no doubt that this is going to be a completely different interpretation of the character than what we saw in Man of Steel. That is just, we're not getting that no more. If you want Man of Steel, Zack Snyder, you go watch that movie. But this is clearly <laughs> going to be different. I think rightfully so, because we kind of mm-hmm. need that with what they're trying to achieve over at DC. Can you imagine just a Spielberg? Like, I. It really boggles my mind. If it's not true, I'm going to be really upset because who else could you get now? (laughs) But just like thinking about the stuff that he's done on screen, as you said, the wonder, the excitement, Mm -hmm. the awe, trying to encapsulate a character. I mean, the biggest question and the biggest challenge with Superman is just cracking that code. Who's powerful enough to take him on? And how can you make a guy who is so optimistic and joyous interesting? What's the angle there? If anybody can fucking do it, it's that guy. It's yep. Steven fucking Spielberg. The only mountain left for him to climb at this point, because he's done everything. I mean, he did a fucking musical, and I didn't think he could do that, but West Side Story, phenomenal. The one thing that he has yet to do, direct a big-budget superhero, tentpole, blockbuster movie, and put his stamp on this genre, that he, it's important to note this, he's never poo-pooed, like mm-hmm. some of these other directors have. He's never taken the road of a Martin Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola, his best friends at that. He's never really had bad things to say about it. He's actually enjoyed some of these movies. So I would not be surprised if that's what this is for. That is like the best possible scenario. On the flip side of it, if it's not that, what could this be? What could this meeting even be about? Could it just be Chris Nolan coming back over to give advice because he himself directed 
a supremely successful superhero trilogy in the Dark Knight. And maybe he's just giving advice on how to create this universe that Peter Safran and James Gunn are going to try to cultivate and really get off the ground. If it is still Superman, what what if any involvement does Chris Nolan have? He seems kind of the wild card out of this because I don't I don't necessarily know if I see him being the director of a Man of Steel 2 or of a Superman movie. I think he's probably off that. But I could I could see a situation in which he's just coming to give advice or maybe he's more involved as a producer. Maybe he is interested, but he doesn't want to be in the director's chair, but maybe he'll be in a hands on capacity from a producerial standpoint. Are there any other scenarios in which this can be something else besides Man of Steel 2 or a Superman movie? I think it is possible that maybe the meeting wasn't as focused as we thought. Like maybe they they all came in and they sat down and they were like, okay. Steven, let's talk Superman. And then they slowly turned to Christopher Nolan. <laughs> and Zaslav was like, hey, bro, I'm sorry. That wasn't me. I, whatever was going on with Warner Brothers and you, I apologize. You, <laughs> you, you clearly made one of the best movies of all time under this label of Warner Brothers in The Dark Knight. What do you want to do? <laughs> mm. Tell me. Blank check. What's next for you? What do you want to do? What is, what's good? That's if, fair. If I was to give you any character of DC, give me the top five characters that you would like to do. That's that could have been a thing too. Peter Saffron, Peter Saffron could have asked them, like, "Hey, bro, we need you. This is you went in the DCEU before, but here we we're trying to establish a brand. And if our brand is Steven Spielberg and Christopher Nolan, people will come flocking. What do you want to do, Christopher Nolan? I can absolutely see that going down. Um, in in to guess, impossible. I would never know what Christopher Nolan could have said in that moment if, if, if given the choice to do another DC film. It has been said, just throwing this out there, that, um, you know, that, that Christopher Nolan is, um, what am I trying to say? Oh, not Christopher Nolan, sorry. Um, that Christian Bale, man, so many Christians and Christophers is throwing me off. <laughs> Christian Bell was like, I would only come back if Christopher Nolan came back. He said that. Chris, oh, God. Christian Bell has never said, I will never step into the cowl ever again. He said, I would come back only if Christopher Nolan came back. That's true. Just throwing that into the air. That's true. <laughs> throwing that into the air. Doesn't, might not mean anything. We could be going a different direction. Christopher Nolan could, be, could see artistry in some other DC project. But I say that all that to say it could I don't see Christopher Nolan touching anything Superman. I really could see him doing his own thing. Like you said, Oppenheimer wrapping up post productions happening. Christopher Nolan is also a director of scope. Christopher Nolan loves scope. Inception yeah. is a huge movie. Like I'm thinking outside of D.C. <laughs> Oppenheimer is probably going to be a ginormous movie. Tenet, Dunkirk, all of these things. Huge scope. And so I could see him doing another big superhero film with NDC if the ties were right, if the interest was there, if the 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 logistics were right, if he was excited about something, I could absolutely see Christopher Nolan coming back and doing something like that. I could because of how seems like how much he did enjoy the Dark Knight trilogy. It seems like it was a decent time for them besides all the other Warner Brothers bullshit that he had going on. It seems like it was a decent time for them. So I could see that happening. Um, but yeah, uh, who knows, who knows what they talked about, but it, it didn't necessarily have to be Superman for, for Christopher Nolan either. 
That's true. It feels apparent that Zaslav is willing to do whatever it takes to achieve what he wants to do. And he's he's said multiple times, Superman is one of our characters and he will be one of the focuses of the future. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, I think he's very keen on repairing these relationships that kind of went south recently with everything that happened under the previous regime. So to your point, for Chris Nolan, it could be anything. It could be unrelated to DC. He mm-hmm. probably just wants Nolan back under the Warner Brothers camp. Exactly. Come back and make movies for us. Like, mm-hmm. yes, you have great power now at Universal. He used all the leverage in the world, rightfully so. But come back because we'll we'll sweeten the pie for you. But if DC wants to make a statement, there ain't no bigger statement that you can make than getting Steven fucking Spielberg yep. to direct anything for you. I mean, yes, you're flagship character that that that's the loudest statement you can make but really anything Mm -hmm. but steven spielberg's not directing booster gold for fuck's sake he's gonna direct (laughs) superman or he's gonna direct something that's worth worth his time you know so i again don't want to get our hopes up this is all just speculation again must say that but damn it i i want this to happen i really want this to happen and both nolan and spielberg it seems like Mm -hmm. outside of their next projects they got some free time on their hands and so perhaps they were trying to etch out what the next couple of years of their lives will look like we will have to see still in the warner brothers discovery camp some other interesting news came out once again from our favorite guy david zaslov or maybe our unfavorite we have to see how the next few years play out (laughs) and whether or not this stuff is going to be really nice or not but he just talked about wanting to make more Harry Potter movies. They just had an investor call, I believe it was, and he talked about their focus on franchises. This was his quote. Quote, we're going to focus on franchises. We haven't had a Superman movie in 13 years. Mm. We haven't done Harry Potter in 15 years. The mm. DC movies and the Harry Potter movies provided a lot of profits for Warner Brothers over the past 25 years. End quote. I don't know what math he's using there, but uh, Man of Steel definitely came out like nine years ago. And <laughs> Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows was like 11 years ago, so... Didn't didn't really do his research beforehand. He might have just been thinking off the cuff. I won't hold it against him. I get I get what he's saying. It's been a long time since we've had Superman or Harry Potter. Totally get it. What's interesting about this quote, though, it doesn't confirm it, but it, all, it, it seems like it semi confirms it. We've been wondering about the future of the Fantastic Beasts franchise mm-hmm. and what they've been trying to accomplish there. It's been diminishing returns every time out, especially on a financial front. This yep. most recent one made the lowest amount of money of any Harry Potter universe movie ever, made the lowest of the three Fantastic Beasts movies that they've done. I didn't particularly enjoy it. Mm -mm. Doesn't really seem clear on what the future of that franchise is going to be, but this would almost kind of signal to me it might be the end of that because he is shifting gears back to, I want Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. which would then mean I want Daniel Radcliffe, I Mm -hmm. want Emma Watson, I want Rupert Grint, and I want J.K. Rowling, as he said here, if they can figure something out. Interesting. There's there's a lot of angles to look at this from. One, do you think Fantastic Beast might be at its end? Because he's he's not been afraid to cut a lot of shit. So I would not be surprised if he decided to say this is over. Secondly, what do you think the likelihood is that we can get any of those people back? Daniel Radcliffe has been very vocal lately about not being interested in attaching himself to franchises. He doesn't want to sign any long-term deals. Mm-hmm. That's why he hasn't done a superhero movie. He doesn't want to go to Marvel and sign like a five-picture deal. He did that. He played Harry Potter for 11 years, 12 years. Like He doesn't want to do that mm-hmm. just yet. He's doing Weird Al and other really interesting films, a lot of art house films. Emma Watson, she kind of picks her projects a little bit more delicately. She comes in and out. She Rupert Grint has been working a lot lately. He's doing a lot of television stuff, doing some interesting stuff. He was on Cabin of Curiosities we talked about last week. Yep. Had a show on Apple TV+. Plus. I mean, do you think it's likely that this could even happen? And then also, 
the other angle, in addition to those two things I already talked about, the J.K. Rowling of it all and the mm. fact that she has a lot of baggage right mm. now and she's not in the most favorable light. Even when you take into account the people that she's worked with and Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson, they've kind of publicly spoken against her in terms That's of her true. viewpoints. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a lot going on there. I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts on just this whole thing? The future of possibly Harry Potter in live action. Will they do it? And will these three, you know, these three leads who we kind of need to be back in those roles, would they even be interested in returning? Yeah, I think one of the important things to note about all this is intention over what what really could happen. Like I, I just like that David David Zaslav. Right now, I just like his energy. He's like, dude, I'm I'm trying to get that shit back up. <laughs> he's like Harry Potter. Been we need going. this bag going, yo. Yeah, he's like, saying, come he's on. like he's like Harry Potter been going through it, bro. Like, what are we doing in, in Fantastic Beasts? I need Harry Potter back. One thing I will say about all of this is. The Cursed Child movie, I mean, there's still no movie for The Cursed Child. You know, I think that's interesting um, because let's say you do do a Cursed Child, maybe not even a Cursed Child movie, but maybe you do a uh, even a spinoff of a, of a spinoff, right? Maybe you do, you, you bring the actors back as parents, not necessarily having anything to do with them in school again, anything like that. They're parents now, as we see in The Cursed Child. Again, no spoilers there, but they're parents. <laughs> That's all you need to know. What if there is a story there where it's them, some magical things happening in the wizarding world with them and their kids? I think that could be a cool movie. There's a cool movie there, I think. I think the weird part of it that you spoke to is the J.K. Rowling of it all. What is what she... Having to publicly speak out against her is like, ooh, you got a lot going on. Part of me is even like, David Zaslav, are you sure? that this is what you want to do again he didn't necessarily say jk has to come back i think you know but i think it's kind of it's kind of a hard concept of harry potter without her like what that looks like she's she's written all of it and even the fantastic beast they made into a movie because the the books were better (laughs) you know what i'm saying the books sold well um and so it, it really is i think figuring out what that looks like for not only warner brothers but for for the actors for everybody involved um you know me, I you can say Harry Potter, and I'm like, you mean they have the wizarding world of Harry Potter? Where are the black wizards? I'm looking for a black wizard movie. That's what I'm looking for. I'm good. <laughs> Give me that. Um, I know they're not going to do that. But I think there's more ideas beyond the original trio that they can explore. But I'm with you. I feel like he's in the same mind of like, we got to get Daniel Radcliffe back. We got to get, and I'm like, mm, are they okay with that? And, and then again, in the back of my mind, they're only okay with it if it's in a reduced role. And that reduced role is the parents of the main character. I could see that. I could see them being yeah. like, I'm the dad. I'm the mom. Like, I could see them doing that. Versus Legacy sequel, past exactly. the Exactly. But do people want to see that? Because I feel like we tried that with Another Star Wars. Good question. We Another tried that with Star Wars, and people are pissed that they killed Han. <laughs> people are pissed that Luke was on the back burner. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think... It's a tricky it's a tricky game to play because I agree that there is a easier win there if you say, hey, you know, you guys come back, you'll be you'll have substantial stuff, but you won't be the leads mm-hmm. per se. You will, it will be somewhat of a reduced role, but we're going to pay you a shit ton of money anyway. But I don't I don't know how fans react to that. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. curious about that aspect. And I also I think the cursed child point is interesting because I agree. It's like it's right there. Of course, right there. You know, they've already adapted it into a stage play. Cursed Child, maybe not the most beloved thing out there either. I know I've seen a That's lot of true. criticism about Cursed Child. Mm-hmm. 
feels like fan fiction, not real Harry Potter story. You know, JK didn't really write it. You know, there's been a lot about that, Mm -hmm. too. What's the likelihood in your mind that JK Rowling is writing more books as we speak? Could she be writing another Harry Potter book that can then be adapted? Does, Daisy, does David Zaslav know something we don't know? Is there like a new Harry Potter trilogy of books on the horizon that will eventually get bought out and adapted into live movies? I don't I don't know. I'm just throwing this stuff out there. Like, what do you think is the likelihood of something like that? And if people will be receptive to to seeing them in different roles, maybe than what we're used to. Wow. Harry Potter and the transphobic Phoenix. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, what I actually have no idea. Oh, God. If she's writing right now or not, I think uh, I know she needs some some self-reflection. I know that. Um, but I, that's a good thing to point out. It's JK. Like writers be writing. You know what I'm saying? And 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 don't say shit ever. They just ever. be going at it, you know, yeah. and then you just drop a book out of nowhere. It's like, <laughs> oh, I was writing this for the past seven years. What? Like, what? Like, Where did this come from? Yeah, they authors never, ever do the the movie thing. Right. Where we're like, oh, that movie's coming out in two years. They don't do that. They just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, they they say, "Oh, I have this book. It's coming out in two months." You're like, "What? Where did that come from?" Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I it's very possible she is writing more things now. But if it's Harry Potter related, no, not related. If it's Harry Potter focused, the character of Harry Potter, not the world. If it's Car- Harry Potter focused, is another question that I don't, I really don't know the answer to. I think that's another hard one to conceptualize. I think if let's say a book does come out. And that book has great reception. It has all things pointed to it. It has, you know what I mean? It just sounds good. Maybe Warner Brothers gets an early, a early look at it, right? Maybe Warner Brothers, they they talk to J.K. Rowling like, look, we really like this book. Let's turn it into a movie around mm-hmm. the same. Uh, let's come out with the book, but we'll also work on the movie in tandem. We already got the book. We don't need to, we don't need it to come out, you know, kind of type thing. I could see that happening, but it just depends on, the quality that J.K. Rowling can continue to write at. I know all the shit she has going on is crazy. It's a lot of shit, but she, she's a pretty good writer. <laughs> I like. I, I have <laughs> kind of a beast. <laughs> like she's she's really good. Um, and so yeah. I, I I think there's a lot to play with there, but it, it's also a lot that there's nothing we can do but wait and see. Like it's even hard, it's so much that's hard to predict in that in that situation. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a weird one. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it, it's it's. I just find it compelling, and I think the reason we're talking about this at length so much is because it, it's 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 just fascinating to see the CEO of a company kind of call your shot this way, like with apparently no no thing solidified. Like for him to say, like, I want more Harry Potter movies. Attention. I want to work out something with J.K. Rowling. Like he's calling his shot there. Mm-hmm. He's making it very well known. Like this is what I want to do. Two weeks ago, Daniel Radcliffe is like, I'm kind of good. Like I don't really we can wait on that 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 that's still like another decade away in his mind is what it feels like but hey man never say never especially especially just in the annals of what they can achieve here and of course money talks i think that that changes the whole conversation because mm. if they pony up the money at the that's end of the true. day that's and they true. start writing them fat checks i think anybody will do fucking anything they'll come for a comedy hour if he <laughs> asks them to it don't matter so we'll just have to wait and see as you said it's hard to it's hard to predict in other news we just found out that netflix is going to adapt the popular Gears of War video game franchise into not only a live action feature film, but also an adult animated series. And they made it a point to note that there will be potential for more stories to follow. Gears of War, incredibly, incredibly popular franchise. I was very much into Gears of War. That first, the first three games, that was really, that was really my bread and butter when those three games came out. Hugely entertaining, 
certainly feels adaptable. The world is big and huge. The story is there. We're seeing this happen a lot more lately. We're on the precipice of the release of The Last of Us on HBO. We know that Amazon has purchased the rights to develop a live-action God of War series. Cannot fucking wait for Ragnarok (laughs) this week. It's going to be nuts. Now Gears of War, another huge franchise. Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, you know, I'd be remiss to not mention Halo too. That's also on Paramount Plus right now. But Gears of War, another big one. Netflix is now taking a stab at it, and they're talking about not only a feature film, but also expanding it out into animation. Um, I think it's it's it it's, it seems obvious that there's potential there. Of course, like it, it's it's already there. It's already laid out for you. It could be dope. But are you interested in this? I mean, the fact that. They would, one, start off with a live-action film and then transition to an adult animated series. What are your thoughts on just the dynamic of how they want to flesh out this universe and how the strategy is seeming to seeming you know seemingly coming together in terms of doing maybe a multi-tiered approach? It's not just going to be a series. It's not just going to be a movie. It's going to be kind of a multitude of things across both live-action and animation. You know, it's really interesting. It has... Gears of War is one of those franchises, man, where... There's a lot going on. <laughs> um, not not like that's the story has a lot going on, but just so many monsters and there's, I mean, it, it's just it's a it's a ton to to think about, um, and, and and yeah, and to just come up with the ideas of how everything is supposed to work together. That I the the release strategy here is I don't know. It's I I feel like if you can make a movie, I I'm scared that it's on Netflix. You know, if you decide to make a film. Like, why is it on Netflix? Why can't we do? I feel like if it's on Netflix, it should be a series. But if and if it is a movie, it's like I better put this thing in theaters. Like, this is Gears of War. Like, I need money behind this. Like, there's some crazy shit in Gears of War that you could put on the big screen, like IMAX. Like, it could it could really go down. Um, and this sounds like that's not this. You know, uh, I really this does scare me a little bit. Especially, fun, I have beat all five Gears of War. <laughs> I have beat every campaign of Gears of War. It is, I and the story remains pretty fucking good. Like the last Gears of War Five, I think got a nine out of ten on IGN. Like it still holds up in a lot, in a lot of different uh, respects. And so, this is not something to play with. Um, part of me does like the idea of a, of a animated series. I feel like you can do whatever you want with an animated series. I feel like the budget will make more sense for what you want to do. I feel like this. Uh, I I can already imagine. The CGI looking very similar to how the game already looks, like more mature, more uh, a lot of blood. Gears of War is one of those early games where your mom walks into the room and goes, is that what the hell are you playing? Because you are like chainsawing some shit and the blood is like coming onto your screen. <laughs> She's like, what are what is this? Um, and, and so I, I, I think you have to protect that. You have to protect that idea of what Gears of War meant to a lot of people. Of course, numbers fell off over time. The quality, not so much. But numbers absolutely did. Uh, the people who played and really cared about the franchise. Like you said, really around the end of three. Like four and five didn't get the numbers that that I think they expected to sales-wise. But definitely uh, uh, one through three was like the the jumping pad uh, for Gears of War. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just afraid for them not being able to capture that moment of when Gears of War first came out. It was, there are two games that made Xbox. Without them, we would not have Xbox at all. Halo and Gears of War. You, Very true. You take care of them. You have to take care of them. That's something you have to do. Like, it's, even in saying this, as much as I love Last of Us, as much as I love God of War, they didn't make PlayStation. They didn't. 
Gears of War actually helped sell Xboxes across the board. Gears of War and Halo did that. And so it, it's it's I'm just afraid that this this release strategy being on Netflix, a movie turned into adult animated series. I don't know. I'm not I'm, I'm not sure what it looks like because Netflix is already iffy as is. So now you, you tell me Gears of War, one of the most beloved game franchises is going to be a Netflix thing. I have to side eye. Am, <laughs> am I looking forward to it? Of course, a little bit. It's Gears of War. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. But I, I can't say I'm 100 percent like, yeah, this is going to be the shit either. Yeah, you know, the biggest point of concern for me is that it feels like they just might be getting ahead of themselves. Like, maybe just make one good thing mm, first. Yeah. Like, I, you know, the announcement is what it is. Like, we're going to probably forget about it in, you know, six months. We're going to forget that they also said, oh, yeah, we're going to also do an adult animated series. And the, and the movie will become the focus once that's in development mm. and filming and releases. But, you know, a part of me just desires like, hey, show us what you got. Let us determine whether or not it's good and we want more of it. Then proceed. Go yep. forth. Make an adult animated series. Make a sequel. Make other shows. Whatever you want to do. So that's the part that concerns me in, in, in all of this. There there obviously is the potential there. Gears of War is huge. It has been huge for a long time. It is one of the flagship franchises of Xbox and has been for so long. But another piece of this, too, with a lot of these adaptations that are coming around, is it feels like the boat has kind of been missed to a certain mm. degree like uncharted felt like it missed the boat when the movie came out it's like the uncharted craze was really really hot yeah, like i know what you four mean. or five years ago mm. you know and be and before that last of us they got lucky because the hotness is right now in this moment because mm. two just came out you know exactly. god of war is happening right now so they're yeah. capitalizing on on the moment resident evil is different because it's always been around always yeah. Gears of War, as you said, there have been somewhat diminishing returns, although the quality has been maintained. Just the popularity of the franchise hasn't necessarily been able to hold up to compare it to some of these other things that we're getting these days. And so I just wonder if there's even the same level of interest as there is now as there might have been in, you know, 2014, maybe it's a 2015. So that's also going to, I think, be a determining factor in terms of just like how this is. But if it's good, if they can make it good or great, then it probably won't matter because people will watch it regardless and and be tapped into it. We will have to see. In the same Netflix side of things, we just found out that um, they're going to greenlight two more installments of the Monster Limited series, which we just talked about a few weeks ago with the release of the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Because of its massive success, I think it's the second most watched English language series on Netflix ever, only behind Stranger Things, again, English language show. It is incredibly successful. They have already determined that they're going to make two more installments. And they said, quote, they will focus on other monstrous figures who have impacted society, end quote. Now, you and I talked a lot about Dahmer. The quality of the show was was pretty high. It was it was it was a really well done show. But we we also discussed the the need for this. Do we need to be telling stories of these these really heinous figures that have existed in real life? The fact that these people have committed atrocities, they actually affect a lot of people in real life to this day. Dahmer's received a lot of criticism because of that, but there's also supporters of the show because of just the the intricacies of that that entire situation that it was able to showcase that many people just wasn't privy to before that. I am a little, I don't know. This is the one where I'm like, mm, we might, we might be going a little bit too far now. Like Dahmer was already a stretch and I feel for the people that are impacted by it. But now the fact that we're going to go down this path again, really because it was just successful. Um, it it kind of feels 
it just doesn't feel as right when you didn't know about Dahmer beforehand. Like I had no idea that Dahmer was being made until it came out. Right. But now that we know what it did and we know that they're going to keep doing this, this is where it kind of starts to feel a little weird. What, what do you think about this? Like, do you even want to see more installments of this particular series and the fact that they're just going to take other notable figures and decide to put a spotlight on them in, in a particular way? Yeah, no, I think I think I'm good here. Um, I don't. This is one of those situations where I just hate greed. I hate capitalism because, of course, part of putting something like out th- like this out there is to make money. But we don't care about that. I just I watched it because I had nothing. I knew nothing about Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. Like that was just something that I got out of the series. And they're not making it after following the success of Dahmer. The fact that you have to say that means, okay, let's make more money. That to me, that doesn't say let's tell more stories. That says let's let's continue to to fill the bag. With things that we know people would watch versus this person did terrible things to people. And this is, you know, the introspect of the story on, on how it went down. That doesn't sound like what this is. Like, I hate that. Mm. The I hate that the story is following the money. I don't like that at all. Um, and, and especially we talked about it, man. We after Dahmer, we're like, no, we're good. Like we the controversy mixed with the kind of show this was, the dark places that this went went into in my mind, was a one-off. Why? What? Who else do we need to talk about? We've done it. We've talked about all of them. We've talked about Ted Bundy. The Ted Bundy. Who are you gonna talk about? Harold Shipman? I don't like. There's. <laughs> I just don't know. Hopefully not. Please no. Let's <laughs> see that. <laughs> Doctor Death. <laughs> right. Just where? Yeah. Just why? It's it's. It doesn't. I feel like there's no merit behind it except for let's let's make more money off the content that people like to watch. For other things, do that. But for real people that existed, killed actual people, murdered real people, real people were affected by. We're done. Monster was it. Did I enjoy it? Yes, I was informed. This, this, and that. I was, but I'm not. I'm not want to hear about anybody else. Like I'm good, and so I, I can't say I'm like ah yes I'm ready for another one another monster series i'm like no we're 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 okay um maybe if they would have came out with them at the same time or they were already made if that makes sense right uh we kind of talk about how cabinet curiosities was released it was like every two episodes like every day for like four days or some shit imagine if like it was like monster and they came they were already made though and they were like we're gonna come out with one a month it would, I'd be like, okay, maybe the money isn't following the content. You know what I'm saying? But it feels like the other way around, and I really don't like that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just good on it. That's all I got to say. Yeah, th- you make a great point about the positioning. The fact that they come out the gate and say, following the record-breaking success of Donald. It's like, no, that, bro. That's the positioning. Not that, that we have like legitimate stories to tell here, that there's something of substance here. It's, it's because of the record-breaking success that we will... Pay money and attention to whoever they decide to, like you say, Ted Bundy, Charles. Man- I don't know these people that have been covered exhaustively over the years. Like we, we, we don't need more space and opportunity for them. But it is what it is. It, it looks like it'll be happening. Um, in 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 other news, on a different network and a show that got canceled, Westworld is ending. It is it is the end of the role for Westworld after four seasons. They were planning on a fifth and final season that was going to wrap up the story. Jonathan Nolan had talked about that, that they were working on a fifth season that was going to conclude the story. But they will unfortunately not make it to that point. Now, 
I have never watched Westworld. I've heard a lot about it over the mm. years, especially after season one. A lot of people talked about Westworld, and it was something I intended to get into. And then season two came out, and season three came out. The years passed by, and I started <laughs> to hear, oh, wait, it's not as good as it used to be. Things are getting very complicated. I've heard a lot about the convoluted nature of the story. I've heard a lot about the twists and just how it's sort of fallen off of the path over the years. This was at one point in time considered to be the next flagship for HBO. A lot of people thought that Westworld was going to be the show to really uphold that network after the conclusion of Game of Thrones. That's certainly not the case anymore. Viewership has steadily declined and season four had the lowest viewership of the series as a whole. So on one end, it feels a little surprising because in these days and these times, it feels like networks and streamers typically will allow a story to wrap up if they're nearing the end. Typically, they'll give them that one more season or allow them to say like, "Okay, you know, we'll do another season, but it'll be a reduced season. Instead of 10 episodes, you'll get six or instead of 13, you'll get nine or whatever the case may be to allow them to just close out the story, give that satisfying conclusion to the fans that do still watch. But not this show. Westworld is incredibly expensive, and I'm supposing the viewership just could not justify the spend for another season, especially because outside of the financial aspect of it, the critical response and just the overall perspective of the show had seemed to have dropped and lowered over the years. But what are your thoughts on this? I know you've talked about it a little bit in the past. I mean, were you surprised to hear this news? And how do you feel about, you know, Westworld not being able to get seemingly inappropriate into the story? Man, um, it's crazy to hear that they canceled Westworld. It just blows my mind a little bit. The reason it blows my mind is season one of Westworld is the shit. It is. It's just great television. It's quality it's very very smart i love how west westworld was one of those shows where it, it doesn't happen to me often after an episode went off i had to go to youtube and be like okay what did i just watch <laughs> but i like that about it sometimes you're like i'm not doing that it's too much going on this is one of those shows where i was like no i got enough to where it's like i need i need to watch some uh an explainer video but i love that about it i my guess i, I i've only watched season one and two my guess is that three and four started doing too much of that. There's too much. I think that that even even towards the end of season two, I did I think watch an early episode of season three. I think people got tired of the mystery. There was like too mm. much not answering questions. We've been talking about that a lot lately too. We used to be speaking in, things into existence, but like where where you you have to like guess what's happening all the time. There people aren't answering the questions just to pose new ones. It's just like this smoke and mirrors a lot of, of, of what's going on. And I, again, I think it works for season one because they, they were focused on something. They had an idea. It's very contained. Season two is really about, I guess kind of spoiler here, but really about the AI that exists outside of Westworld, what that looks like. But it, it maintained the feel of Westworld. It really, it felt, it still felt like I was watching Westworld. And I remember watching that like that, again, that first episode of season three, like, ah, I don't know if I'm interested in this anymore. Like it just felt like <laughs> it was it was too much of a scope at that point. It was already crazy concepts going on. And then by season three, you're like, y'all keep expanding. And I don't think I'm like I'm thinking too hard now. Like in 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 and I don't really like that. It's not that I'm dumb, it's that I just shouldn't have to fucking read encyclopedias to watch a TV show, you know, kind of type thing. And, and that's what it, it, it kind of started to feel like. Too much, it, the soul had been 
let go. <laughs> um, and, 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 and so uh, I can't say I'm super surprised. I will say I am a little sad that it is a show I plan to catch up on um, and finish because it, it, it still feels like it deserved that. It still feels like it had enough merit behind it where it deserved to finish, especially you tell me season four is done and there's only one season left. And you're like, whoops, sorry, canceled. You only had one season left anyway. It's like, damn, you can't let me finish the season, bro. It's like, I, I remember I was bowling one time. They were like, I was on the, the 10th frame. They were like, sorry, we're shut down. I was like, you serious? Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't bowl my last frame, bro. Like, nah, nigga, you got to go home. We're closing. Go. Like, we're, <laughs> like, dang, I just wanted to finish the game. And so it, that's what it feels like a little bit. Um, because it is beautifully shot. There are really cool concepts in Westworld. It may not have been all the way there, season three, season four. I haven't seen season any of season four at all. It it may not have been there in the end, but I still feel like you could have finished it out. Who knows? Season five could have been one of the better seasons. You know, clearly it was the idea to end it. Sometimes the endings are good. Um, and so I I think that part sucks. Uh, but I can't again can't say I'm surprised. I didn't know post season one. I didn't know almost anybody else that was watching Westworld. And I think that mm-hmm. speaks to this cancellation. I I haven't heard nobody talk about Westworld in years. Um, and so, yeah, I again, I can't say I'm too surprised about that. Yeah, similar experience for me when I was hearing all about Westworld. It was season one. That's when that's when people were talking it about it. That's when it was incredibly high. Mm-hmm. And I've always heard great things. They also had long layoffs in between seasons because of that mm-hmm. scope. You know, and I, I, I did start to hear some of those similar criticisms that they got ahead of themselves. They started trying to do a little bit too much without properly pacing out the story and having a real end goal so that you're not building out more so than the story can keep up with and mm-hmm. that you're actually answering some of those questions as opposed to just posing endless ones that never get addressed or answered. But as you said, nobody recently I've ever heard talk about Westworld, especially with this most recent season that aired. I, I didn't I don't I don't know if I know one person that watched. <laughs> and so it it does say a, a, quite a lot of just about just how far it fell down the totem of what's considered popular amongst HBO and what's considered a flagship. Because, again, yeah. it, it lost it lost any potential for having that status years and years ago. It's unfortunate that they won't get to finish it out, but. All the actors and people will still get paid for their work on it because they were, I think, gearing up for production. So they'll get compensated. But, you know, it's one of those things that we will just have to live with the ending that we have out of season four. And that'll be the end of it, which is unfortunate. But that is all for the news of the week. We got one more thing to cover, which is certainly something that's uh, certainly very tragic and upsetting, to say the least. We did not get to talk get to talk about this last week because it occurred right after we had put out last week's episode. But Kershnick Kari Ball known professionally as the rapper Takeoff, one-third of the hip-hop trio Migos, was gunned down last week. He was out with his uncle, Quavo, also another member of the Migos, and got involved in an altercation, unfortunately, and was was gunned down and and lost his life at the incredibly young age of 28. Um, Takeoff is a part of one of the greatest groups that we've ever gotten in hip-hop. I mean, Migos have done so much over the past decade to cement their status as not only a unique, formidable group in hip-hop, but also a memorable one or two. I think it's easy that they could have fallen into a trap in which they were hot for maybe a couple of years and then maybe fell off, but they were able to maintain relevancy this entire time and put out quality projects, genuine quality projects, and also changed the flow of hip-hop for a lot of artists. And and most notably, Takeoff was kind of leading the charge in that respect. He had a more unique flow than even Quavo and Offset did. He changed up the voice, tone, and inflection of what rappers would do. And he was the one that got this whole Migos thing off the ground. He was really the 
the the the the impetus, the nucleus of the group because he was the rapper. He got them into it and, yeah. and, and really pushed them to be a part of the group. And we know over this past year, Quavo and Takeoff started to do things separately outside of Offset. There was a little bit of a falling out as it seems, but they were certainly still putting out music and, and, and doing so regularly. But this is just I mean, in, 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 in the past few years of really shocking deaths that have that have hit hip hop in a, in a really terrible way from the Mac Millers to the Nipsey Hussles to, to recently PNB rock and mm-hmm. just all these people, young Dolph. I mean, it's just, it's gotten, it's gotten scary. I mean, takeoff was just so unexpected and so jaw dropping. And, and it's something that I know a lot of us are still processing because of how important he was to many of our form- formative years of, 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 of music over the past decade. You know, this was, this was my entire undergrad experience yes. that he was responsible for, you know, and um, to see that he's no longer here. It's it's just incredibly sad. And um, to know that he was he was just so supremely talented and had a lot ahead of him. Clearly, it, it's just really sad to see him to see him lost in this way. It's absolutely unbelievable, man. I am. Five months older than takeoff or something crazy like that, like the dude, I've always noted that I was like, me and takeoff are like the same age. And it's it's just wild to to have to think about all of these all of the rappers that we've lost in in shoot really the last three years has been more ridiculous than anything else. Like you pretty much already said it between the the King Bonds, Nipsey, Snooty Wild, Dolph. I mean, it's just like wow. P and B Rock happened early September. It's November. That was two months ago we lost PNB Rock. Oh my goodness! And now we're we're talking about takeoff. One of the part of Migos, Migos. It's I, I'm still like having to think about this, bro. Like their names are spin off of the three Amigos. Like think about there's only two now. Like what Migos? Wow! Like you said that they. Two two people owned college for me in terms of music, <laughs> in terms of like the the undergrad experience. Future and Migos, <laughs> like they were the yeah. two that was just like, no, we got y'all in a chokehold all the time. Every party, every stroll, like all of it was was it was them. And to tell me that that takeoff um, as is is gone is just. I actually won't believe it until the funeral happens, which I, I know they're doing at uh, State Farm uh, um, Stadium. But boy, that is, uh, I still don't even really know how to talk about it because it really, who who doesn't know like 10 Migo songs, you know? It's crazy. A lot of artists, you actually low-key probably don't know 10 songs. But I guarantee you, anybody who had the experience we had, you could probably sit down and write down 10 Migo songs. Easy no-brainer in in the seat man they, they they said takeoff was the glue man they, they call him the glue and the see that he's gone man is just it's crazy like pe- i don't even think people realize it yet i think it'll take a, a little bit but we lost a legend like migos is legendary we lost a legend um recently in in, in takeoff man and so yeah it's just it, it's crazy that we have to say that and i have to say that some he didn't even hit 30 he didn't even hit 30 crazy bro um yeah it's just it's it, it sucks it's sad but man uh of course condolences to any and all parties i don't i don't even think quavo and offset have said anything yet like i know they in a different state of 
mind. So I'm definitely with them. My my, my prayers with them, their, their family. But it is it's it's a sad time, man, for not only to be a rapper, but to be a, a young black man in America. He's walking down the street and it's the gun violence is is absolutely out of control, bro. But rest in peace, take off, man. We really we really lost a legend. Absolutely. It's uh it's never easy to see such a talented young brother like this just get cut down um in that fashion um well before he should have well before his time and he just he he had so much to do still so much to accomplish still so much to contribute um the 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 only the only positive thing is that he i mean he really lived a life um in 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 the short years that he was here he he contributed and, and gave us so much i mean so many songs as you said that we'll always have you know so that's the one the one glean of, of, of hope that I think anybody can take from this, but there, there's no way to spin it really. Otherwise that this is just incredibly tragic and sad and should not have happened and completely unnecessary. So we will unfortunately have to deal with that. But as you said, the, the funeral services will be this Friday. Um, the public ones, at least, um, at state farm stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, I'll definitely be tuned into that to just, to just see hip hop show up, um, as, as the culture always does for, for a legend like takeoff. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again for tuning into another podcast. We will, of course, be back next week because we have to have to have to talk about the 30th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's right. I'm talking about Black Panther Wakanda Forever is finally releasing the long awaited sequel to the Black Panther film from 2018. We'll be dropping this upcoming weekend. So when we come back next week, we're going to talk all about the movie, the details, the spoilers, the surprises, everything about it. The entire episode will be dedicated to Black Panther Wakanda Forever as it serves should be so definitely be on the lookout for that but until then we'll see y'all next time yes sir we are audi 5000 please check out our two black nerds forever collection on twoblacknerds.com this is the year 2022 black nerds remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all